The Jones Report featuring Fog.net, 24-7 Sports KU beat writer Scott Chasen is coming up in just a few moments. But first, I want to talk to you about our friends at No Coast Lids, a hat brand based out of Lawrence, Kansas, a company that embraces Midwestern values such as hard work, having fun, and treating everyone the right way. Their signature hats include the Kansas Sunrise, the Kansas Thunderstorm, the No Coast Freedom, and many more. Each hat is specifically represented with wheat, windmills, buffalo, and storm clouds, which showcase the heart of Kansas. The four colors found in all designs display the four seasons we have. Green for spring, blue for summer, red for fall, and white for winter. Kansas Sunrise hoodies are also coming soon. All products can be found with pictures and pricing on No Coast Lids' Facebook page in the shop's section. Hat styles available include truckers, fitted, beanies, and visors. Visit No Coast Lids on Facebook. Tell them that Tyler Jones sent you, and you'll be glad you did. The Jones Report is also presented by SmackApparel.com. SmackApparel.com offers the best in your face-themed shirts to get under your opponent's skin. These guys have hilarious pro football and college football-themed shirts for you to support your favorite team, but more importantly, to diss your rivals. And for a limited time, they're offering you 20% off Chiefs Super Bowl winning shirts, including Party Like It's 1969 and the 31-20 Game Over shirts. Get 20% off with the promo code 2020Chiefs, only good for purchases on smackapparel.com, and put the promo code in at checkout for the discount. That's promo code 2020Chiefs. Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Scott Chasen of 24-7 Sports and Fog.net, talking all things Kansas football as we'll get you ready for the Jayhawks matchup with Coastal Carolina coming up on Saturday and also talk about their season ahead for less miles in year number two in Lawrence. Later on in the show, we will have the O'Connor Advisory Group Pigskin Pick'em with our picks crew, which includes Brian O'Connor of O'Connor Advisory Group, TJ Reeves, National College Football Analyst and Bucks Radio Network Sideline Reporter. And uh, later on, we'll have Tom Fullery as well. A loaded show. Thanks for making us a part of your day here on the Jones Report. Joining me as always is Thomas Bridges. Tom, many thought this day would never come, but we have football in the National Football League and in college football this weekend. I am so excited. Insert the Bart Scott can't wait gif here. Right, I love it. Yeah, right. I couldn't believe it. And we have fans in some places. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't believe that. At, you know, if you'd have told me that two months ago, I said absolutely not. That would never happen. I will get to be one of those lucky ones. Not this weekend, unfortunately. But next and then the following weekend, if everything goes as well. I am so happy it's back. We both obviously watched Navy, BYU, and it just got me even more excited for this weekend. BYU beat the crap out of Navy the other night. Um, Tom and I each won some money on that game. Not by my initial bet, 
Uh, jumping on the uh, second half line is what uh, saved my bacon that day. But you know, just to have that, and there was no fans there, but to see two teams, two known programs, hit the gridiron was just fantastic. It had a thrill of some sorts. I said going into this that our country has been so starved for football, it feels like we're about to watch the national championship with BYU and Navy playing. Now, that was far from the case, but just the excitement, the energy, it's finally here. We're going to talk plenty of college football coming up later on in the show, but where we want to start today is in the National Football League. The Chiefs getting their season started tonight against the Houston Texans, the NFL kickoff game. The Chiefs are coming in as a nine-and-a-half-point favorite the Chiefs beginning their run-it-back tour. We've talked about it all off-season long with this Chiefs team, that the expectations were through the roof. They were high, that this team was well-positioned. If anyone was ever going to repeat as Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs looked like that they could be the team to do so. Patrick Mahomes is back. He's got a big contract that keeps him in Kansas City for the next 12 years. Travis Kelsey with a new contract, keeping him in town for another four years. Same with Chris Jones. Many said that would never happen. Oh, and by the way, Andy Reid and Brett Veach, the masterminds as head coach and GM of this organization, they're sticking around at least another six years. You have stability within this organization for years to come. And then on top of that, with this group, the talent that's there. This offense is historically good. They have made this about as good as they possibly could be. That offense is what drives this team. And Brett Veach has had a simple philosophy as GM of the Chiefs that they're going to make the Chiefs' offense as good as possible. They're going to give Patrick Mahomes every weapon he could possibly need. They have done just that. And at the same time, they've built up a pretty decent defense as well. Spagnola, in the second half of the last season, really developed this group to adapt to his scheme. Uh, you know, Chris Jones and Frank Clark and company, that defensive line is arguably the best defensive line in football. There is some weaknesses for this Chiefs team. As good as they may seem, they're not perfect. The secondary has some issues. With uh, Bashad Breland, he's going to be suspended for tonight's game and the next three games after it. And you lose Kendall Fuller, and they didn't really replace him, uh, per se. You do get Juan Thornhill back, the rookie that had a very good year for the Chiefs last year. He did not play in the Super Bowl. He had an ACL injury. He looks like that he's good to go tonight. And on the offense, you did lose LDT on the offensive line. And you lost Damian Williams, but those things seem to be a situation where they are replaceable in the sense. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the rookie, expected to have a big year. Uh, this Chiefs team, I feel really good about tonight's game against the Houston Texans. We'll make our picks later on in the show, but it's so fascinating that Watson and Mahomes, the future of this league, Two of the best three quarterbacks that the league possesses for many years to come. The future faces of this league. In fact, I would say the future is now. Two of the top five quarterbacks in the league as is. 
uh, in Mahomes and Watson um, are on very different paths with their teams. Polar opposites, Tom. You got Mahomes with the Chiefs, who's in a near-perfect situation that is set to dominate and be a top team for many years to come. And then on the other side with Watson, the talent's there. Nobody's arguing that with Deshaun Watson. I mean, he is a hell of a quarterback and is going to have a great career. But you lost DeAndre Hopkins, who is one of the best receivers in the league. The defense is worse than they were a year ago. I know J.J. Watt is healthy right now, but Bill O'Brien is just a buffoon. It's been well documented on this show how we are not big fans of Bill O'Brien at all. And when I look at tonight's game, I see a Chiefs team that's on the rise, that things are going their way, and their quarterback is set up for success. And I see a Texans team that has gotten worse than they were a year ago. And as good as Deshaun may be, they're not helping out Deshaun Watson. Tom, I feel bad for Deshaun Watson, what he has to put up with. And if if Houston is going to beat Kansas City tonight, it's going to be because of Deshaun Watson. This is now his team. They have not helped him out. He is the guy that has to get it done for Houston. For KC tonight, it's their 22, basically, versus Deshaun and J.J. That's pretty much what this game comes down to at this point, Tom. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, you replace Deshaun – or not Deshaun Watson. You replace DeAndre Hopkins with a guy who's been beating the head so many times over his career, traded to however many teams. Not hating on him because, uh, you know, he, he did okay for the Rams. But you get a speedster in Brandon Cooks. And other than that, you don't – I mean, you have Will Fuller. Will Fuller, I think, is solid. Uh, I think he probably gets a lot more looks this year, obviously, without DeAndre Hopkins, but they're not helping him out. I mean, they're they're taking pieces away. They're doing the complete opposite of, of what Andy Reid's doing with Mahomes. Uh, I mean, just the polar opposite, complete. Uh, they're just Billy Donovan, this whole thing. Um, <laughs> and Yeah, right. I had to mention it. We'll get to that later. Because uh, I have some things to say. I'm sure you um, do. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like, golly, okay, like they're, they're, you know, they get decently good. Uh, they give the Chiefs a run for their money last year in the playoffs. And then it's like they have to come back down the earth for a second. So, oh, well, wait a second. We were the David, where's, where's the David Carr days? Let's just go ahead and bring those back for old times' sakes. They are David Carring. Deshaun Watson, they're doing their best to do it. Man, you, you feel for him that he's in this circumstance. Deshaun Watson should be treated a lot better than the situation that he's been put in. But nonetheless, with Kansas City, Tom, uh, we're going to make our predictions here on the show. We're going to go around the league coming up later on uh, of you know breaking down each division and also giving out awards uh, the preseason you know, predictions of sorts. But everything I've seen from the Chiefs points to that, hey, not only do you have the roster and the talent there to repeat as Super Bowl champions, but one big point that we have stressed this offseason, which we will continue to stress one more time before they actually kick off the ball tonight, 
is the fact that with this weird offseason of no preseason games, uh, you know, training camp was at the team facilities, OTAs and mini camps and all that stuff. Some of that was done via Zoom and stuff like that. The Chiefs are not reteaching their schemes. They are adding to their playbook. A team like the Bucks, the Cowboys, some of these other teams that have a lot of talent, they have either new quarterbacks or new coaches, and they're having to learn along the way. These regular season games are being used in the same sense that their preseason games were before were to fine-tune things and to sharpen things up to where they're ready to go. I think what you're going to see out of the Chiefs to start this season, as opposed to some of the other teams around the league, is you're going to see a team that is well-polished, that is in mid-season form. Some of these other teams, which are going to be very good, that will be contenders this year, are not going to be as successful as a well-oiled machine as what Kansas City is. And I think that's one of the biggest keys in this run-it-back tour of sorts for Kansas City is that this is a well-oiled machine. They have a goal in mind, and they know how to get there, and the pieces are in place to continue from where they left off from 2019. Yeah, it is. I mean, they've they've shaped up the best they can uh, and a lot better than, obviously, many other teams, uh, considering all the circumstances around COVID and just uh, the craziness of it. You know, no preseason, uh, limited practices, you know, just the – just what what has happened this year, the the way the Chiefs are set up couldn't be really any better. Um, and so they're trying to run it back. Uh, damn good chance to. I mean, for from what we can see on paper, uh, you know, minus injuries, knock on wood, there's really no reason they shouldn't. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything is there. It seems to be in place for the Chiefs. And uh, we'll see what they can put together tonight. Uh, real quick. Keys to the game for tonight against Houston, I think it's the Chiefs being who they are. It is, you know, playing as the Chiefs that we know and love. A team that, uh, you know, loves to throw the football, that can still grind it out. I expect Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to have a really good debut. Think of it similar to what we saw from Kareem Hunt in his debut in the NFL kickoff game against New England a couple of years ago. The Chiefs won that game on the road and spoiled the celebration for New England uh, that night. That's what I'm looking at for the Chiefs is that they're going to do whatever they want on offense. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to have a big night. And then the defense, it's really just about containing Deshaun, uh, you know, keeping him in the pocket, you know, don't give up too many big plays. They do that. I think they're going to be just fine. What say you? How do you see tonight's game playing out against Houston, Tom? You know, I think from what we saw in the playoffs, I think obviously this year's goal, other than just making it back to the Super Bowl, is not to let other teams build up a big lead. Maybe that's their forte. Maybe that's where they feed and get good. They're like the they're like me procrastinating on an English assignment in high school. I just get better as the deadline gets closer. <laughs> um, you know, it, it seems. I'm that trying way. to teach my sister that right now. Is that you can actually be very good in critical thinking in procrastination. Yeah. Oh God. It's incredible. Sometimes other times, not so much. 
Um, but um, that being said, I think that's probably the goal. They're probably saying, hey, let's, you know, we like, uh, you know, I, I say this because it's what I relate to, but the Cardiac Cowboys a couple of seasons ago, the OSU Cowboys, that is, where they would just give you, a, you know, every game you watch, they would somehow end up covering, uh, at least the Chiefs last year did. And in the same fashion, still be a game that kept you on your toes. I think, uh, I think for you know, I think for Andy Reid, he's probably saying, "All right, guys, listen, uh, let's maybe not do that this year." But uh, I, I think it's to you know improve on defense, and and I don't think you know obviously the team they faced last year in the playoffs, those Texans are not the same as these Texans coming out uh, tonight. So I think for, you know, Andy Reid and crew and, and for the Chiefs defenses, I think it's about managing the game enough to where Mahomes and crew can blow it open. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's pretty much what it comes down to. For sure. For sure. Tom, uh, let's break down these divisions now. You want to start in the AFC or the NFC? Let's start in the AFC. All right. Let's start in the AFC. We'll start in the AFC North. The Ravens were the number one seed in the AFC last year. Lamar Jackson has started in two playoff games now, has not won either one at this point in time. Tom, the Ravens are the odds-on favorite. I don't see any reason why they won't win the North again. Yeah, I'd be pretty shocked. Barring any injuries, uh, you got to think the Ravens uh, will go ahead and get the job done there. The AFC East the Patriots have won this how many years in a row now? It's been a while. Uh, as long as I've been alive, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, been quite the run for uh, the Patriots, but they're without about, what, seven or eight guys that have opted out this year due to COVID. Tom Brady, of course, is gone. Um, but Cam Newton, the former MVP, is in town, and he's had an impressive training camp uh, from what most people have said, and that he beat out – uh, Jared Stidham pretty easily for the starting job there. Tom, I like the Bills. I think that Josh Allen's going to have a good year, and that defense in particular there in Buffalo is really good. But even with that still being said, I don't confidently pick the Bills either. Nothing would shock me one bit if New England still finds a way to win this division. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me either. I will go ahead and take the Bills. Uh, but what you just said will foreshadow a later pick, uh, because I, you know, with the way Bill Belichick is, I, I you, you always got to imagine he has something up his sleeve. Right, right. Uh, Jets and Dolphins. I think the Jets are a dumpster fire. Uh, the Dolphins have a bright future, but still long ways to go. And it sounds like that Fitzmagic is going to start the year. Could see Tua later on. I like what the Dolphins are building, but give it time. They're not quite ready yet for prime time. The uh, AFC South, we were just talking about it uh, with the Texans. The Texans won the division last year, but it was the Titans as a wild card that made their way to the AFC championship game, uh, in large part due to the running game of Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill really came along when he took over as the starter for uh, Marcus Mariota in the second half of last year. Tom, uh, this division, I wouldn't even roll out the Colts either. Phillip Rivers comes into town. Uh, they got some nice pieces there. This seems to be a real toss-up, uh, probably the uh, closest race among the divisions in the AFC. 
Yeah, you would think so. And and maybe, uh, you know, as, as far as competitiveness besides the Jags, uh, you know, between the teams, maybe not the records won't reflect the same, but maybe the most mediocrity, you know, most mediocre. I don't know what I would put that. It will be competitive, but it'll be mediocrity. Here's what I'll go with. I'm picking the Titans here, and here's why. They have the best coach in the AFC South and Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel is uh, Bill Belichick Jr. He coaches just like him. He's brilliant, and I really love what they did in the second half of last year. They're a better team than they were a year ago. I like the Titans to come out of the South. What say you, Tim? No, I like the Titans, too. I think it'll be close, uh, you know, right up there with either the Texans or the Colts, depending on how far Deshaun Watson can carry that team on his back. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what Phillip Rivers does in Indianapolis this year. That's uh, a little team, you know, to watch. You know, I don't think they're going to make any huge moves or any huge statements, uh, but it'll be interesting to see Phillip Rivers on a different team. Uh, That'll be weird. Used to. It, it will be weird. <laughs> no doubt about it. The uh, West, we know the Chiefs are going to win this division. It's just by how many games. How many games are the Chiefs going to win this division by? Denver, on paper, looks like the second-best team in this division, but it looks like Von Miller uh, is going to be out for the entire season. The former Super Bowl MVP, the heart and soul of that defense, I think Drew Locke could have a very good second year in Denver. He certainly surprised me with what he put together for that rookie campaign, but this team was already looking like they're another year away from contending for a wild-card spot, now without Von Miller, too. Uh, I think the Chiefs win this division with like a you know 14 or 13 wins. Denver probably finishes second, maybe, at eight and eight, or at best nine and seven, I think the Chiefs win this division with a significant gap handily. The Raiders, the Chargers, they're not any good either. Uh, the Chiefs win this division pretty handily here. Yeah, I think so. And maybe Denver could surprise some teams. Uh, the Chargers, you know, not happening. The Raiders, new city, new dreams. You know, you could say that, but uh, I don't think even that what you called a toilet bowl and what I call the death star is going to save them this year. All right. So this year with the playoffs, in case people forgot, they are expanding. Two more teams make the postseason, one out of each conference. And here's how this is going to work. This is brutal, isn't it, Tom? This new playoff system of that, yes, there are seven teams in each conference, but now only the number one overall seed in each conference gets a bye week. You could be the two seed, have the same record as the one seed, but you lose out on some tiebreaker. Maybe you go 14-2, and two, and you're having to play in wild card weekend now. Brutal. That makes home field advantage more important than it's ever been before. Three wild card spots, and Tom, I'm looking across the AFC and the NFC, and this is going to be a tighter race, not only because there's an additional spot, but I think there's better teams this year than there was a year ago contending for these wild card spots. I'll let you start. Tell me who your three wild card teams are of the AFC. You know, I think it one has to be the Steelers just right away. I don't think they're going to get close to 
the Ravens, you know, as far as challenging them to outright win the division, it could get close maybe at one point. Um, but I think they get the sec- I think they get the, the wild card there. Um, I got to go, you know, I got to go with either the Texans or the Colts for what, you know, for betting purposes or whatever, to go on record, I will go ahead and say the Texans. Uh, and then last but not least, I'm going to go and say the New England Patriots. Uh, you know, they do have some players out. Cam Newton comes in. First time they've had a, a new quarterback, a new look, other than when Brady had any injury uh, in forever. Uh, you know, they can beat the Jets, and that, th- that Patriots team can beat the Jets, and they can beat the Dolphins. And I would not be shocked if they get at least one win against the Bills. Uh, maybe not, but I, I think they get the last wild card spot there. All right. So I agree with you on two teams. I like the Steelers with Big Ben back from injury. This team won, what, eight or nine games last year with Mason Rudolph getting his head chopped off and Duck Hodges, uh, who both just played mediocre and still put together one of Mike Tomlin's best coaching jobs. Big Ben, all he has to do is manage the game and stay healthy, and this Steeler team could have a very good year. And that Steeler defense is going to be the best it's been in a long time. Mika Fitzpatrick turned out to be an excellent trade last year. Um, you know, I mean, T.J. Watt, I got a lot on him. We're going to talk about him coming up later. I think he's going to have a fantastic season. Uh, just looking at that Steeler defense, and you still have uh, Juju. I think he's going to have a nice bounce back year offensively. Connor, I think, is better than what people give him credit for. I like the Steelers to get a wild card spot. Texans, Deshaun Watson will will this team to the playoffs, despite having an incompetent head coach and their defense getting worse and all that. I don't see Deshaun missing the postseason. He'll find a way. The last spot, this team, I picked them to win their division last year. They embarrassed me, as they tend to do a lot over the years. But they have a new head coach in Kevin uh, Skafanski, who I think is a much better option than that Yahoo that they threw up there last year uh, there in Cleveland. Um I got the Browns. I think Baker's going to have a bounce back year. Uh, he, he, I think that Baker throws for about 30 touchdowns, maybe eight or nine picks. Odell has a good year. The running game, they have the best running back group in the league with Chubb and Kareem Hunt there, and their defense is significantly improved. The offensive line is improved. Austin Hooper comes into the tight end spot, one of the most underrated tight ends in the league. I got him in fantasy, too, by the way. I got the Browns making the playoffs. I think they slide in at 9-7, and 10-6 and six for that last spot. So there you have it. That's our AFC picks there. Let's move on to the NFC. Starting with the North, Tom, the Packers won this division last year, and Matt LaFleur's first year as head coach. Do they do it again? I don't think so. I mean, the Vikings are going to be right there. I think that's the biggest biggest toss-up um, as far as what I think for the NFC divisions go. Um, I will go ahead on record. I'll just go ahead and say Vikings win that division. Um, 
surprise pick later on, but uh, Vikings, I, I got I got the Vikings coming out of the North. I think it's going to be Vikings-Packers within a game to win that division. It's going to be tight, um, but I like the Vikings to come away with it. Kirk Cousins really uh-huh. stepped up last year. I think and he's not afraid of COVID. He's not. <laughs> I think that Kirk Cousins, Tom, is going to win a primetime game this year. He's going to come through and get his first. Um, I like Kirk. I do. And, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook, I mean, one of the best running backs in the league. You still have some talent there with Thielen, a good defense, although they did lose some guys. I like the Vikings to win the North as well. The East. The East is, it feels like, Tom, this is always the wackiest division in the league. We never know what to expect. The Eagles won the Super Bowl out of this division a couple of years ago. And then last year, they won the division with like a 9-7 and seven record. Um, and the Cowboys, one year, they go 13-3 and three and then get eliminated in the first round. I mean, this and the Giants and the Washington football team have just been a disaster. What on earth were the Giants thinking hiring Joe Judge? Uh, I like the Ron Rivera hire, but Washington's still a mess there. With that being said, um, we talk about how competitive these other divisions are. Based on what we've seen the last couple years, 10-6 and six probably wins you the NFC East. Who gets it done this time, Tom? Jones, obviously it comes down to pretty much two, and that's either the Cowboys or Dallas. And, you know, any given year, you just go ahead and pick your poison. Uh, I don't think it's any different this year. Um, I will go ahead. You know my hatred for Dallas. So I will just go ahead and say uh, I'll go ahead and pick Philadelphia to to squeak out the division there. Okay. Well, I'll go with Dallas. Uh, I like the Mike McCarthy hire. I think it's going to take a little bit of time to adapt. But uh, I think that he and Dak, he'll take Dak's game to the next level. CeeDee Lamb was a great draft pick. He'll have a fantastic rookie season uh there in Dallas. I like the Cowboys uh to win this division with like a 10 and 6 or 11 and 5 record somewhere around there. The uh, South. This might be the most competitive division in football with the teams on top anyway. Brady and the Bucks come to town. The Saints have owned this division for a while. Carolina is in rebuild mode with a new head coach Matt Rule and quarterback Teddy Bridgewater uh there. Uh, what are you thinking about this uh, this group in the uh, NFC South? Atlanta uh, is still hanging around with Matty Ice and company too. What what say you as far as the uh, this NFC South race? You know, usually it's just the Saints, Falcons, and usually it was the Panthers trying to squeak in there. You know, a few years back, but now you take maybe the Panthers out and you replace them with the Bucks uh, and, and a Bucks team that's ever been as good as any Panthers team's ever been that wasn't a division-winning Carolina Panthers team. Uh, you know, you got to fight here. Um, for what it's worth, I will go ahead and I will pick uh, I will pick the Saints to win that division. Hard to pick against the Saints, considering how much they've owned this division. But Tom Brady's here. Bruce Arians. Uh, I mean, this is where Tom and I disagree. I got the Bucks going very far this year. I think they go 12-4 and four in the regular season. Tom thinks I'm crazy. He has them missing the postseason altogether and going, what, 9-7. and seven. Brady has a good year, nice bounce back year. Gronk and Godwin. I got Godwin on my fantasy team. 
Uh, they're going to do things to go to the next level. And the defense isn't going to have to be on the field nearly as much since they won't have Jameis turning the ball over 30 times. I'd like the Bucks to win the South there. The West, Tom, you know the uh, NFC West as well as anybody. Four good teams. The 49ers went to the Super Bowl last year. The Seahawks have been a consistent contender for the last decade with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. The Rams went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, down year last year, but still some talent there in L.A. And the Arizona Cardinals, with Kyler Murray, are certainly on the rise. Uh, realistically, this is not a stretch to say, you have four teams in that division contending for the playoffs. You really do, and and we'll get to it later, but this you know, may be the division that gets three in the playoffs. Uh, you know, three, you know, three wild cards, maybe, or, you know, one, one solid lot or, you know what I mean? The, right. the division, you know, the, the playoff, the new playoff is throwing me off just a hair here. But, uh, that being said, it could be the division winner. And I, you could, I would almost guarantee, uh, you know, another wild card spot there. They're getting at least one in there and maybe even two. Yeah. Uh, so who do you have coming out of the West? I'm sticking with the defending champion 49ers, but I don't say that confidently. I think the Niners are taking a step back this year. You know, I think they, I think they could as well, but I will go ahead and have them winning the division. Um, and then I guess as our wild card picks, I will take the Rams. I will take the Cowboys and I will take the Packers. Okay. Very competitive for those three spots. Uh, we mentioned Arizona, Green Bay, Seattle, you know, New Orleans, Philly. Uh, there's a lot of good teams competing for those three spots. I think the Saints, you have to give them one of those if you don't win the division. I think they could be an 11-5 and wild card team. Still a serious threat to win the Super Bowl. Seahawks, they come up short, I think, in the West, but still make the postseason I think they have a streak themselves, Tom. Hasn't Seattle been in the playoffs every year now for, what, six, seven years, something like that? I mean, they have a good thing going there uh, with Pete Carroll. It feels, like, it feels like they're always there. I wouldn't, like I said, you couldn't even, I wouldn't be shocked if the NFC West puts three teams in the playoff. Last spot, um, I'm going to go with the Eagles over the Packers. I think the Packers had a really good year last year. But I think they're going to take a step back a bit. I think the Eagles are going to show improvement. Jalen Rager, their first-round pick, it looks like he's going to be their number one receiver. You still have Zach Ertz. Jalen Hurts is now going to be in the equation as a Wildcat quarterback of some sorts. Their defense got better. I'll go with Philly to uh, take one of the wildcard spots. So there you have it. Those are our division winners and wildcard spots uh, that we have uh, where we think this is going to go. Now. Let's pick the uh, Super Bowl champion and the uh, conference champions. Tom, uh, I've made this pretty clear for the last couple months, the direction where I'm going with this. I have the Chiefs coming out of the AFC again, and I got the Bucs. It could be a rough start early on of learning to play with Tom Brady and Gronk and making this work with Bruce Arians. But eventually, I think this team gets it going, and they become unstoppable. I got the Bucks coming out of the NFC. Chiefs ultimately win the Super Bowl, get Patrick and Andy ring number two. Tom, 
who comes out of the AFC and the NFC and who ultimately wins it all. Jones, I figured you were going to take the Chiefs. I will take the Chiefs as well coming out of the AFC. Uh, I think they have a great shot to win it again. But as far as the NFC, I'm not going to take the Bucks, but I'll take another team from the same division, and I will say the New Orleans Saints make the Super Bowl. And who do you have winning it? I will take the Chiefs to go ahead and run it back. It's okay. hard not to at this point. So there you have it. We're both on the same page with the Chiefs going back-to-back. Uh, but they're NFC opponents. We have very different paths as uh, as who will necessarily be the uh, NFC champion. Uh, let's give out some preseason awards here. The MVP, I think Mahomes gets his second. I would say that he gets Offensive Player of the Year as well. Tom, uh, are you somehow going to surprise me and go a different direction there? That's got to be Mahomes. I mean, <laughs> if you're a bet man, and we have been over the past couple of weeks, um, I have to take Mahomes. Okay, simple enough. We'll go with Mahomes to uh, win those. Defensive player of the year. Tom, uh, you got the best defensive player in the league there and Aaron Donald uh, with your Rams. But I'm not picking him, and here's why, is because he's going to be double-teamed so much, I don't think that he's going to get the stats in the numbers to reflect how good he really is. Um, so I'm not going to pick Aaron Donald this year, uh, even though he might actually, might be the best player. I don't think that he'll get the credit that he's due. Um, so I'm going to go with actually a guy that we talk about his brother a lot, but he might be just as good. T.J. Watt in Pittsburgh is a star. This guy is incredible. He's fun to watch. I think T.J. Watt's going to have a big year and be the defensive player of the year. Tom, you uh, going with your uh, your guy Aaron Donald here? You know it. Uh, I gotta I gotta pick one Rams player, one homer pick here, uh, and it will be Aaron Donald to win defensive player of the year. Okay. Uh, how about uh, the rookie awards here? Uh, offensive rookie of the year. I got Joe Burrow. I think he's going to impress Zach Taylor. Uh, I'm skeptical about it as a head coach, but not as a quarterback guru. I think he would be, he can be a good match for uh, Joe Burrow. You got AJ Green, a couple other weapons there. Joe Mixon. Uh, I think Burrow can have a good rookie year. Who do you think wins rookie offensive rookie of the year, Tom? I think it's Burrow, too, and I'm not going to be shocked if the Bengals end up third instead of fourth in that division. Ooh, wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, defensive player of the year. This draft had a lot of good defensive players. Tom, who stands out? You know, a lot of people will say, you know, Chase Young or Isaiah Simmons, and those are fair picks, too. Um, I wasn't going to go with the Chase Young pick right off the top. We talked about it earlier. He'll probably get double teamed right off the bat, but, you know, that's pretty obvious there. Um, but a player who I think can make a big impact on an already great defense is Patrick Queen at LSU, who plays on the Ravens now. I think he's going to make an immediate impact uh, from day one, and i like to see him win the rookie of the year on the defense. Okay, I'll go with Isaiah Simmons, the Olathe, Kansas product, uh, who was great at Clemson. I think he'll be a natural fit there in Arizona and get to kind of lead that defense, play alongside Pat Peterson. I'm looking for him to have a big rookie year and a great all-pro career uh, down the road. Isaiah Simmons is my guy. Coach of the year. Tom, who gets that? Jones, I'm going to go with Bill Belichick. I think he gets that team into the playoffs. Uh, They might not win the first game, but with all things said and done, I think 
that Belichick gets the Patriots into the playoffs, either beating the Bills for the division or getting the wild card. And I think Bill Belichick gets the coach of the year. I'll stick in that division. I'll go with uh, Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I have the Bills winning that division. I think that they're going to surprise some people just because we haven't talked about the Bills in this way. They're building something there. Uh, a lot of talent there in Buffalo. Sean McDermott is uh, my coach of the year. Last one for you, comeback player of the year. Tom, I mentioned him earlier, and maybe he doesn't quite qualify for comeback player of the year, but I think that he had enough of a drop-off last year, and he's going to have such a big improvement that it will be good enough. I got Baker Mayfield as comeback player of the year this year. I think, as I mentioned, 30 touchdowns, maybe you know, seven, eight, nine picks, something like that. Browns make the playoffs. He has a lot of talent there, a lot of weapons to work with. Give me uh, Baker to win comeback player of the year. Tom, you got a comeback player of the year? Maybe like a Phillip Rivers or something like that? What are you thinking? You know, I'm going to stick um, right around the coach of the year division, and I'm going to say Cam Newton. And that's a good pick. If you think New England's going to do well, they have to do it with Cam Newton. So, uh, yeah, that's a good pick with a Cam Newton there. So there you have it. Those are our NFL picks for 2020 as the season gets started tonight with the Chiefs and the Texans. Let's move on, talk some college football. And, uh, Tom, we already had some games this past week, and now the uh, Big 12 and the ACC get things started this week. We'll have our picks against the spread coming up later on in the show. Uh, but I want to focus in particular on the Big 12 here. Three games have been postponed that were originally scheduled for this weekend. Here's what the Big 12 was originally planning to do, was to have all the Big 12 teams play non-conference opponents at home or within their state, and then take a week off and then go into the Big 12 slate of nine games. Three games are already gone. You have uh, Baylor and Louisiana Tech, TCU and SMU, and Oklahoma State and Tulsa. Oklahoma State and Tulsa has been moved to next week, and that more so has to do with Tulsa as they got some weird, just just dumbass policy that if one guy tests positive, they have to shut down all of practice at TU, which just makes no sense. But that's what they're doing. And so they've only had, I think, a total of, like seven practices in camp, 15 practices overall. So OSU is doing Tulsa a favor and uh, letting them push that game off a week. So kudos to OSU for helping out their little brother there in Tulsa, giving them a week off. That's not OSU's concern. TCU, uh, SMU just played last week. They beat Texas State, and this is a TCU issue. They announced this a week ago. They weren't quite ready to play. Um, and based on schedule openings for both these teams, it doesn't look like they could play again till potentially December. So TCU might be looking for another opponent uh, if they don't want to wait around for SMU till December. And then with Baylor and Louisiana Tech, this one came in late. We found out this later in the week, and that had to do with Baylor. So starting with the cancellations, Tom, how concerned are you? What's your concern level right now? As we were saying, this season, and, and Bob Bowlesby told us too, was not going to be perfect, that it wasn't going to go off 
completely smooth and perfectly. We knew this was going to happen, and we know the Big 12 has this measure in place where you know they have a 53-man roster. Where's your level of concern as we enter week one in the Big 12 right now? I can't say I'm not concerned, <clears throat> if that makes any sense. I figured this was going to happen, and I'd rather have it happen now than in the middle of the season. Um, obviously, the case of OSU, it's more so a Tulsa thing. But for the other teams, it's kind of like, okay, well, why do we even schedule the non-cons? Right. It just so happens that OSU had a bye week the next week and can just move that game because Tulsa's just right down the road and that works out. But I'm still happy that college football is still being played. It didn't have to be in my backyard, but can't say I'm not concerned. I'm, you know, I'm kind of like, well, maybe we're going to find out. Uh, you know, the OSU Tulsa game got rescheduled, like you said, till next weekend at 11 a.m. kick instead of the. First time was supposed to be a 6.30 p.m. kick. So, you know, I expect we'll have some time changes. I expect that this won't be the last time that games will be postponed or moved around. Um, It's just kind of something we have to live with. Yeah, um, that appears to be the case. And uh, KU had a little bit of a scare. There was a report that came out from the Kansan that the Kansas Department of Health and Environment – identified KU football as an active COVID-19 cluster with 14 confirmed cases. But then, shortly after that came out, uh, KU said that their latest round of testing, they only had three positive cases, um, and that that would not affect them, that they're good to go, that they're free to play Coastal Carolina, that things will go on as planned. Um when I heard that initial report of 14, I'm like, oh, no, that's not good. But I, I'm glad that KU is taking care of business. Les Miles has said, hey, we're testing twice a week. We're encouraging these guys to social distance and you know wear a mask and all that stuff there. Um, I, I'm a little concerned as far as this season goes. But the thing I've said from the get-go on this, Tom, is I'm confident we're starting this season. I don't know if we're finishing and if we can just accept that there's going to be a few bumps in the road here and there, we can go forward and have this season as far as that goes. But we're not off to a great start on that front when it comes to the uh, Big 12 in these games where they stand right now, uh, you know, getting these in. Uh, now, here's uh, something else, too. Lincoln Riley this week, Tom, said – that they do not want to give a competitive advantage to their opponents and publicly state who has COVID and how many guys have COVID-19. That that's something that they want to keep in-house. Now, they still have to report those numbers to the state of Oklahoma and the university, but they're not making those public. And with HIPAA and all that stuff, they don't have to. Lincoln Riley received a lot of criticism for that. But, Tom, I look at that decision. I understand where he's coming from. They don't have a legal obligation to do so. There's privacy involved. And, you know, if you tell somebody ahead of time, hey, such and such has got COVID or this position group is short, that does give a competitive advantage. Those that need to know, no. 
the state of Oklahoma, the university, uh, you know, the the players, obviously, and such. That message is being communicated. I understand where Lincoln Riley is coming from on this decision here. Yeah, I completely agree with him, and that's the only time that I usually would agree with something that comes out of Norman. But, um, yeah, they don't have to tell you who it is. Now, that's not to say they won't find out, you know, with social media and just rumors and things like that. But with HIPAA, yeah, that's the great thing about HIPAA. No one's going to know if you don't tell them. Um, And that's just how it goes. They shouldn't be like, oh, well, our best player's out. Uh, Why? If you wouldn't, if you don't have to, why would you say it? Exactly. Um, now, other teams, other teams are full of shit if they think <laughs> they wouldn't do the same thing. <laughs> exactly. Now, now here is where I am concerned, though, as far as the the Lincoln Riley connection, and, and we'll talk to Scott more about this when he joins us coming up in a few minutes. Is that you could point to? some guys and say, you know, if, if you're on the verge of clinching a spot in the Big 12 championship or the college football playoff, you might point to and say, well, we've got some contract tracing involved here. Um, you know, we're not going to play this week and come up with stuff and give some false numbers. I don't expect all these coaches are going to be completely honest here. I get where Lincoln's coming from, but this is not a perfect system in place. Uh, there's going to be some some of these coaches are, are going to be a little unethical here. I, I would be shocked if they weren't. Yeah, for you, if you have an injury, that next game that player would be good to go. Maybe you in your next big game is that game where you would need that star player. Maybe you would falsify some information, you know, it, it only sucks if your team's not doing it uh, kind of thing, you know, from a fan perspective. You know, you could get mad at a team whose star player was hurt and they could come back the next game and then they, oh, well, what do you know? Just how the cookie crumbles. We're not playing this week. Right, right. Uh, that very well could be the case. Let's look at the games that are being played this week in uh, the Big 12 Conference, the ones that have not been postponed. We mentioned earlier TCU at SMU postponed, Baylor-Louisiana Tech, that game postponed, and uh, Tulsa and Oklahoma State, they'll play next week in Stillwater. The other games that are going on, let's look at those slates. Uh, K-State and Arkansas State. Arkansas State uh, – had a decent showing against Memphis. That game got away late. But uh, K-State, uh, last I checked, about a 10-point favorite. I know that they lost a lot uh, there in Manhattan. But Chris Kleiman in his second year there, uh, you know, and, and that team that K-State brings back, I would be shocked if K-State does not win this game uh, going away. I, I think that Skylar Thompson, who it seems like he's been there 100 years, I would bet that you know maybe Arkansas State contends early, but K State should win this one going away late in the fourth quarter, right? Yeah, they have no reason that they shouldn't. Um, I mean, Arkansas State's one of those teams you have to beat if you want to be an up and coming program in the Big Twelve. No reason not to. That's not taking anything away from Arkansas State. That's just stating the facts. Right. Exactly. Uh, West Virginia taking on Eastern Kentucky. 
We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one. I just need to tell you that Eastern Kentucky got blown out by Marshall last week. I know Eastern Kentucky's got a game under their belt, uh, but West Virginia will have no problems. They will roll. I don't know how good West Virginia is, Tom, but I'm not concerned about them at all this week. No, neither am I. No, if it was Western Kentucky, maybe we talk a little different. And I, I still think they would beat Western Kentucky. But uh, yeah, they. I I feel though that there's going to be one game, and it might be a game we haven't talked about yet, that a Big Twelve team embarrasses the rest of the Big Twelve. And one game, maybe it could be West Virginia. But there's another game that's a very big potential as well. Yeah, I think I know what you're going to. We'll get to that here in a moment. Iowa State taking on Louisiana Lafayette. I guess they want to go by just Louisiana now. They're still the Raging Cajuns, which is still a great name. Uh, Iowa State, uh, you talk about who's benefited from teams dropping out. Iowa State was a borderline top 25 team. Now in the new polls, they're looking like top 15. And, you know, the expectations for Iowa State are through the roof. They think that they can be in the Big 12 championship game. Brock Purdy going to be a first-round quarterback in company. Uh, I think Iowa State gets off to a hot start. They win this one big against Louisiana, Tom. Now, Jones, are you going to take that bet? Are you taking the line there of Iowa State 11.5-point favor? Are you putting some cash money down? I think I might have to. Uh, I'm, I think that's that's the game I'm most solid on throughout the whole college football weekend. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma taking on Missouri State. This game's on pay-per-view for some reason. Um, <laughs> the Sooners, uh, it's the debut of Spencer Rattler. We know what the outcome is going to be of this game, that OU's going to dominate. Uh, I know Bobby Petrino is coaching on the other side, but really this game is all about Spencer Rattler and his debut and. And you know, based on the opponent and the film and everything we've heard about Spencer Rattler, uh, anything but a great debut for Spencer Rattler, I think, would be a surprise at this point, Tom. Yeah, you know, he's he knows the pressure that's on him as well, and he has openly said that he is ready to take it on and, and is embracing it. And so now we'll see how it translates on the field. I don't think he's going to be a Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield right off the bat. And OU fans are spoiled like that to where they might suspect that. There's going to be some some missteps there. This just happens. Uh, I don't think the first misstep is going to against, be against Missouri State, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that being it. Uh, Texas Tech taking on Houston Baptist, that game in Lubbock. Uh, second year for Matt Wells, his head coach there for the Red Raiders. Uh, here's one thing that we haven't talked about hardly at all this offseason, Tom, that I'm excited to see. Alan Bowman is back as quick at Texas Tech. This guy has been hurt a lot the last two years. But when he's been healthy, we've talked about him in the same breath as Brock Purdy. If Alan Bowman can stay healthy, Texas Tech could surprise a lot of people this year, Tom. I really like Bowman. Yeah, Jones, I really like Bowman. You know, he's obviously been hurt, but from the things I've seen and heard, he seems to be, you know, great kid, great athlete. He's got a cannon. Uh, and for whatever reason, if he does stay hurt, you know, Duffy's not that bad of a backup quarterback. I mean, he took it to Oklahoma State this year. Don't think that'll happen again this year. But we knock on wood when we say those types of things. But Bowman, yeah, I think he could surprise a lot of people. Um, I'd like to. I would really like to see Tech get off to a great start and just hammer this Houston Baptist team. 
Uh, I'd like to see Bowman just have a great showing, kind of build some of his confidence back uh, as long as he didn't get too much by the time they play OSU. Uh, but, yeah, from things I've seen, I, I like this Bowman kid. I do, too. Uh, Texas taking on UTEP. Texas isn't back. Uh, UTEP coming off a 1-11 season. Uh, Tom, you want to talk about my ridiculous bet of sorts for the weekend. Um, I have UTEP plus 44. And here's why. Texas did not beat a single opponent last year by more than 35 points. I know Sam Ellinger's a good quarterback, but I think that offense, uh, even with Tarek Black from Michigan coming in at wide receiver, is going to struggle a bit to get things going. Um, I think they'll win it handily, but I don't think by 44, maybe even 40, but not 44. Texas We'll do fine week one, but maybe not quite cover that 44-point spread. That's too many points, uh, and I say that more so about Texas than about promoting UTEP here. Now, I will say UTEP, they're no stranger to playing big teams right off the bat. I feel, I feel like it was probably five or six years ago, maybe seven. I'm getting old. Um, that UTEP pulled a close one with OU. That's right, in El Paso. Um, they Exactly. Now, this game is in Austin, correct? Yes. Right. And obviously, there's not going to be really any fans. I don't think it's going to change a whole lot, but I agree with you there. There's, I don't think there's any way in hell Texas covers. <laughs> Last one for you. KU and Coastal Carolina. We'll talk about more of this game with uh, Scott Jason of uh, 24-7 Sports coming up in just a few moments. The Jayhawks started as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. That line has moved quite a bit in the Jayhawks' direction. They lost this game a season ago. Puka Williams is back. Andrew Parchman is back. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be, whether it's Miles Kendrick or whether it is Thomas McVitie. We'll find out game time. Um, the defense has got some holes and such, but if KU plays up to the talent, they'll be fine there with Coastal Carolina. The, the big thing for KU and like it's been for many years, Tom, is they just simply cannot get in their own way. If they play to their potential, KU is going to be fine on Saturday night. I think. Yeah, I think they. I think they'll be fine. What the line jumped from like three and a half to now? What is it, seven and a half? KU. Yeah, that's about right. Right. I, I think they they should. Like I said before, there's usually one team that it starts off and it just embarrasses the Big 12 and I don't think it's going to be KU this time. It might not be anybody just from the lack of, you know, teams now playing, but um KU should come out the second year under less miles. I think they have their shit a little bit more together or they should. And I I think they come out and beat Coastal Carolina handily. I remember what they did to Boston College last year. I think they can chant a little bit of this, and I, I think KU can win by at least 14, if not more. They should. It would be great to see if uh, they can pull it off and if they can have their quarterback settled. We've heard from Les Miles that two quarterbacks could play in this game. If you can come away with this game, not only with a sound victory, but know who your quarterback is going to be going forward, that's like two wins. So we'll see what the Jayhawks can put together on Saturday night against Coastal Carolina. More on this game with Scott Chasen coming up here in just a few moments. Later on in the show, we will have our picks against the spread, Tom Fullery, and more as we roll along here on the Jones Report. Scott Chasen joins us next. 
Joining us now, the Jones Report this week from 24-7 Sports and Fog.net. It is KU beat writer Scott Chasen making his debut on the Jones Report this week. Scott, appreciate the time. What's going on, man? Long time coming. Glad to have you with us. Yeah, absolutely. I've been listening. It feels like forever. We are both from a very similar area. Yeah, definitely excited to be here. Scott, uh, before we doc, talk uh, too much shop here, we got to get to know you a bit. That similarity that you mentioned, uh, both of us spent some time in the uh, Tulsa area. You were a, a Union High School kid, right? Mm-hmm. You can you think back to all the state championship <laughs> football teams they had, and they couldn't have had any of those without my contributions no, I'm just kidding. Absolutely nothing there. But uh, yeah, I was at Union for a few years. You know, it's funny. Uh, I think the three years I was at Union, they either went undefeated. They maybe lost one game. Uh, they won state championships every single year. I went to Olathe Northwest my senior year, and I was on the call actually as a, a kind of a color guy uh, for the first football game of the season. I think they lost something like 37 to nothing in a monsoon. <laughs> And I just remember turning around to the to the people I was working with, and I was like, I've never seen this. Like, I don't know what happens when the football team is not going well because I just came from a place where they just kill everyone every week. So a little bit of change of pace, but I love both high schools. And uh, I consider myself Union first, the okay. Northwest second, but uh, certainly love both places. If moving during your senior year wasn't bad enough as is, to walk in a situation like that, that's not ideal. Yeah, I'll tell you what, in moving my senior year, the day my parents told me I was going to be moving was the day I had my wisdom teeth out oh. between my junior and senior year. So how, I mean, how fantastic. You cannot get better than that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, now, let's see if you remember this. Uh, 2011, when Broken Arrow played Union, were you at Union High School then? Yeah, I would have been, I believe. Yeah. Okay, so that st- state title game at uh, in Stillwater that night that was uh, that was something else. Uh, when uh, that was Broken Arrow's one shot to win a state championship it was my sophomore year, and uh, they were leading with a minute to go, fumbled it away, and uh, they'd never won a state title. We were a minute away from winning it all, and uh, eventually they did win a state title again uh, for the first time in 2018. But uh, that was a, a sad bus ride home that I still remember uh, to this day, Scott. Uh, I'm sure you had a, a very different memory that night. Yeah, you know, I didn't go to enough football. I didn't appreciate <laughs> football enough. when I. It's crazy when I was at Union and the spectacle of all of it. But I do remember I was I'm – I'm not going to say the worst clarinet, like, band player you've ever, ever met in your life, but I was probably pretty close. Oh, you and didn't I mention did, that only, part. You were a band yes, guy. Well, I only did it for one year or two years, and it was in middle school. And then I realized Union was crazy about band. Like, if you were going to be in band, you're showing up to school at 6 a.m., and you're staying three hours after (laughs) because they are going to compete in every national competition and everything. So, like, they were absolutely nuts about it, and that was too much for me to handle. But (laughs) I did it for one or two years. I think it was required. And for whatever reason, like, we got to go to one of the games – and like play with the actual band. And I just remembered like how, like you're in the band. I'm not saying that, I mean, the band obviously has an important job. It adds to the atmosphere (laughs) and and fans love it, but I mean, it's the band, come on. And like the amount of just pressure and people yelling at you and stuff. I was like, oh my God, like this is very big time. That was my, that was my first introduction to Oklahoma uh, high school football. And then, yeah, from there, I mean, it's so much fun to just have 
I, I think our basketball team was pretty good then. I vaguely remember them being ranked in the top 25 in the country at some point. I loved the uh, the UMAC. That place was a heck of a um, place to watch a game. Yeah, I went back. <laughs> we So here's the thing. I get bored, and I like going just doing things. So uh, myself and Matt Galloway of the Topeka Capital Journal took a road trip. We went to Tulsa. We got uh, Hideaway Pizza. We okay. got Jamba Juice. We got, um, oh, we did one other thing. Oh, the Brook. And then we drove okay. back. So we spent three hours in Tulsa, <laughs> ate way too much food, ah. turned around and drove back eight hours of driving one day. And I, I tell you what, it was absolutely worth it. Tulsa has great food. And no Whataburger in that mix. Yeah, You know what? I never had Whataburger one time when I lived in Tulsa. Because my parents, who I think just didn't want me to eat fast food, they were like, Whataburger's disgusting. You don't want it. <laughs> Since then, I've had a lot of Whataburger. Okay. And we, we, I guess my parents and I need to have a conversation about that because the honey butter chicken biscuit, honey barbecue chicken sandwich, I mean, those things are ir- I mean, unmistakably amazing. Now you're speaking my language. I love it, Scott. <laughs> you can't go wrong. I'm actually about to head down. Uh, I, I'm taking a, a vacation just to go home for a week uh, here in a, mm-hmm. in a while. And uh, I'm already making a list, like Hideaway, Whataburger, you know, trying to make sure I dot my I's, cross my T's uh, for that week. Uh, it'll be uh, fantastic. But, Scott, uh, you've been in Lawrence on the KU beat for several years now. I think that you, you've worked for about every outlet that uh, writes about <laughs> KU uh, before you landed at uh, 24-7 Sports. You've seen uh, a lot of KU in football and basketball recently. Uh, tell me about that, uh, just – following this team what it's been like uh, the last uh, several years on both fronts you know it's it's wild because my introduction at 24 7 sports was under uh, david Beatty, and, and not only under him but at a time when you know the, there's a recruiting aspect to my job too and and david Beatty, because everyone kind of knew he was a dead man walking for lack of a better term was not doing much of it you know when i took over um or when i covered uh, that first kind of recruiting class there was one person committed, I believe, when David Beatty yes. was fired from Kansas. And then, you know, you think back to a day in June uh, last year, Kansas landed like 10 or 11 commitments in one day. And so it's it's just uh, completely different, the amount of resources and things that are being poured into the program now. And then on, on the basketball side, yes, you've covered, you know, a lot of winners, got to cover a Final Four, which has been great. I think I've been doing it five, six, seven years, something like that. Um and there's been a ton of stuff off the court, too. Um, I've had the chance to cover an NBA draft, which was uh, an absolute blast. I showed up way too early to the point where I got turned away multiple times and told, <laughs> dude, it's like 11 a.m. What are you doing here? I actually covered the Royals one summer with MLB.com. Nice. And the first game day, uh, Flanny, Jeff Flanagan, told me to show up at, uh, I think it was 2. And I just got like so nervous and excited sitting at home that I showed up at that parking lot at 10 a.m., 10 in the morning. And I went and I'm like, where's security? Where's the entrance? Just thinking they'd be there. And like, of course they weren't there. So uh, I guess everyone now knows I'm a little bit of a lunatic, but I I love sports. I love uh, having the chance to cover it. Uh, Since I was a student, I went to every KU football game my freshman year. uh, And obviously, I think most to every basketball game. So uh, it's been a. it's it's been really cool. We I think you you'd appreciate this too. We have a really cool job, Tyler. So it's fun to do. We do every day is a pleasure uh, doing this job. Certainly don't take it for granted, especially that stretch where we didn't have sports there, and it was kind of a reminder how good we got it uh, during uh, when things are, are normal and we're starting to get back towards that for sure. You also do a television show too. What do you not do, Scott? 
Oh, yeah. Man, I've worked for the Topeka Capital Journal, the Lawrence Journal World, uh, obviously like student media, the Canton 24-7 Sports. And yes, I host The Drive on WIBW in Topeka. Credit Tom Keegan for that because he let me take over for him uh, with Tim Fitzgerald, who is absolutely a rock star, exceptional. Um, It's, I mean, that show, I've been doing it now, I think a year and a half going into year number two, which this Sunday on WIBW, if you live in Topeka, check it out. Um, it, it is, it's just a whole lot of fun to do because some of it's scripted very little though. And it's just off the cuff conversation. And Hey, what are you thinking about? What are you passionate about? What do you care about today? You know, we're going to talk about it. And it is always a pleasure when like people come up at KU games and, uh, you know, Hey, I I heard this point. I want to argue with you or, or (laughs) I really agree with you. And it's like, it's like my own little 1% of feeling like Stephen A. Smith. I'm sure Stephen A. Smith cannot walk down a street in this country without 10 people being like, really, you said this about LeBron. And so when that happens, everyone's in a blue moon. I'm very grateful for the, the, you know, just anything. I, I love knowing if people agree with me, disagree with me, uh, if they're watching it, it, it really means a lot. And, and the people that, that hate you on, on Twitter or Facebook, <laughs> whatever, when they do see you in public, they, they never act the same way that they do. They act like they're your biggest fan. I'm sure. Oh man. Uh, and sometimes it's hard to tell because the people who hate you on Twitter usually have like avatars that are an egg and or right. you know some kind of a weird name and you you never even know it. But you no, know, most I would say most people are very nice. I have got the occasional I, I can't recall off the top of my head, but like just coming up to me like, man, I I don't know what you were talking about. And it's just <laughs> like, yeah, hey, I appreciate you listening and and taking the time to come up and disagree. All right, that's uh, fantastic, Scotty. Uh, let's talk. KU football, the Jayhawks about to begin their 2020 campaign on Saturday when they take on Coastal Carolina. What is the expectation for this KU team under in year number two under Les Miles? You know, I, I had always thought about what it would take for Les Miles to build the program up, and that's starting with scholarship numbers he inherited. If he did things correctly, I, I estimated just personally, it would take about three recruiting classes just to get to the to a, the scholarship number to a place where you'd feel, you know, really good about it. And I, I think that's going to bear itself out. He's had the 2019 class, which was very small uh, because of de- decisions that David Beatty made, overloading in one class, taking too many Jews, and then using scholarship except to bring in more than 25 names, which hurts you in the next year. In recruiting, you can only bring in 25 names a year. So if you're at a deficit, you can't exactly fix it in one year. Um, year number two for Les Miles or class number two, he brings in 25 or 26 scholarship guys. Uh, all high school guys starts to build the program the right way. And it's looking like the 2021 class, you know, he's got 20 or 20, 20, 20 or 21 scholarship guys again so far. So what that tells you is eventually the numbers, the talent of this program will be fixed. But for now, it's still a work in progress. So going into less, the less miles regime, I was always the, under the impression that year one might be okay. Then they're going to lose a ton of guys because of the previous staff decision. Year two might be worse. Year three, you start to see some progress. And year four, you start to say, hey, is it is it time to make a bowl game? And if you bear that out, you know, here in 2020, things might not be the best. 2021, maybe you're looking at, hey, can you win four or five games? And then 2022, you're saying, hey, you know, let's see if KU football can get back to a bowl game for the first time since Mark Mangino was coach. So that's not to say my expectations are zero wins, but 
man, Coastal Carolina isn't a gimme, and there are certainly not a whole lot of gimmies after that. No, you look at that schedule, nine conference games, Coastal Carolina to start the season. This KU team needed every non-conference game they could get just to hope to add up the win total. Now you don't have that. It's tough to see where the wins could come by for this Kansas team. A, a two and eight season, I think, would would be considered a success if you you pull that off. What what say you as far as when you would feel comfortable for KU of saying that hey, this season was wasn't too bad realistically? Yeah, if they can go two and eight and keep the the class together that they currently have, I think it's ranked number four in the Big Twelve, which would be their highest finish basically ever. Um, I think that would be maybe not uh, an you know overwhelming success, but it'd certainly be a success. And look, you think back to last year, they were close in a number of games. They could have beat Coastal Carolina. Now, I would make the argument if they beat Coastal Carolina, they don't beat Boston College because something I got talking to players is Boston College did not take them seriously after they lost to Coastal Carolina. It also caused a change, right? Sure. You know, whether it was less Kenning or less Miles, the hey, I'm going to run straight forward into a box of 10 guys, no matter what you say about it, you know, we're going to outmuscle you. That approach didn't work, doesn't work with the personnel that Kansas has, and they, they certainly tried it over and over against Coastal Carolina. You know, Carter Stanley also had a very rough game in that game, but, you know, clearly, schematically, things needed to change, especially with the formations Kansas used. Kansas wasn't using any spread formations, and they changed because they saw – Oops, you know, we scored seven points and uh, against Coastal Carolina. That that was what they saw, they experienced. Lo and behold, you know, the Brent Deeren plays start to come out at Boston College. But, you know, you think about K being close against Texas and, you know, minus a, a mysterious clock error, if you want to call it that. You know, it would have been like a 40-yard field goal or something, Texas kicking for the win as compared to like 28 yards or whatever they ended up getting to to kick you think about the Iowa State game Kansas led that into the fourth quarter I was there in Ames uh Carter Stanley absolutely on fire I think you know touchdown 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 to end the third quarter start the fourth quarter uh and then West Virginia even came down to the last play um where you know Kansas had a chance with a, a hook and ladder or something to to you know try and win right at the death down five so you know Kansas was close in probably four other games it wasn't totally dissimilar to David Beatty's last year I think Kansas should have won, should have won five games in David Beatty's final year. But, I mean, coaching was just a gigantic issue there. And you would think that'll start to change. And, you know, maybe Brent Deerman and, and DJ Elliott and their staffs will be able to elevate things to the extent where, you know, who knows, maybe Kansas can steal, you know, a couple Big 12 games. Scott Jason, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net, joining us here on the Jones Report this week. You mentioned that four- or five-year plan for less miles in this program. With the circumstances that we're under in college football this year, Scott, do you add another year to that plan? Do things get delayed with how unique this season is? It, that's a terrific question. I've been thinking about it a lot if this would help or hurt Kansas in the long run because you could make the argument, you know, with this blanket waiver, everyone can come back. You get enough of the right guys coming back, and you could actually say, well, Kansas might be ahead of year next year. Uh, the problem with that, though, is every team in the country can have that exact same scenario. Right. So you can't just magically go, hey, Kansas gets all their good players back, and everyone else loses all their good players. Like, that's 
unfortunately for Kansas, not really how that would work. So um, it, that's a really good question, and it's something we'll have to see because something that's being talked about a lot right now is things won't affect this coming recruiting class because they're going to be exempt from roster limits starting next year. So if you're a senior, you choose to come back one year, uh, just for next season, you won't count against the roster. And the reason why that rule is so important is because you've, you know, 2021 guys need to be able to come into a school, uh, 2021 high schoolers, and have a spot. You only get, you know, 80 whatever scholarships on a college football roster. And if all of the guys come back and no one leaves, you know, hey, that roster is going to be full. The next year, though, that rule doesn't exist. And now there starts to be this question of, you know, how many guys can take? I would make the argument that that could really help Kansas because if rosters are more full around the country, places that have scholarship deficits now will be the programs with spots to offer. And maybe they'll get talent a little bit better than they're thinking uh, that that would ordinarily be the case or that maybe they'd ordinarily be able to have. Kansas has offered, I don't know if the exact number, a ton of four-star really like talent that it would be very hard to get in another year in 2022. And it's just something I'm watching and tracking and, and kind of interested in. So I don't necessarily know. We don't, we don't know how it's going to work. I would actually lean closer to saying if things break the right way, it could maybe speed things up a little bit. But again, I, I think it, it probably ends up staying the course just because they were able to have all this zoom communication this summer. They were able to install an offense and then, you know, think about this quarterback battle. If Miles Kendrick were to win the job, you know, he's a junior. In theory, he could come back next year and still be a junior with that blanket NCAA waiver. And then he could be a senior, you know, two years from now. That would be three years of a starting quarterback for Thomas McVitty. He's a senior this year, blanket waiver, senior again next year. If they want to go young, if they want to go Jalen Daniels at some point, he, that guy, he will be a freshman starting next year. So you could have five years of him and and, and just so that you, you have all these options and things. So it's a really tough question. That's why I'm giving you such a long answer. <laughs> but I, I could see it going. I could see it. I could honestly see it going either way. Scott, you mentioned the quarterbacks. Let's start there. This quarterback battle, we haven't seen any practices. There wasn't any spring ball, obviously. These two guys that seem to be the front runners, McVitie and Kendrick, we've barely even seen on the field. I believe McVitie threw one pass in a trick play last season, and Kendrick was a Wildcat quarterback the one year he played in those four games here. Uh, it, it seems to be a very much an unknown as far as this quarterback position goes, and Les Wiles didn't rule out playing two quarterbacks. What say you? What do you think of this quarterback position going into uh, Saturday night? Well, it's funny. You know, uh, I'm Les Miles last year. I asked him at media day, you know, you want to play one quarterback, you want to play two quarterbacks, mostly because KU fans wanted to know that because David Beatty not only wanted to play two quarterbacks, he wanted to play three quarterbacks. He wanted his punter to be a quarterback. I mean, he wanted, actually, I guess he wanted his quarterback to be a punter. I kind of got that backward. That was the thing that happened uh, several times. He wanted, he just wanted numbers, fusion and all these things. And it seemed like the competent programs don't do that, right? Even if you have two quarterbacks, like I think back to the San Francisco 49ers with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. Well, what happened that year when Alex Smith got injured and Colin Kaepernick started playing really well? They didn't go back to two quarterbacks. They went to Colin Kaepernick, and I believe they took it all the way to the Super Bowl. Yes. Um, 
Loss of the so, Ravens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the the crazy delay and stoppage with the lights out, yes. if you remember that. That feels like two decades ago. It does. Oh my God. Um, but but so you know, I I've never been a believer that a two quarterback system is the way to do things. And even when Miles Kendrick, you know, you think about this, David Beatty named Peyton Bender the starter in I believe Bender's senior year. And like a day later or two days later, he says, and we want Miles Kendrick to play in every game. And it's just like, I mean, you're, you're undercutting yourself. And, and I believe Miles Kendrick actually started a half. He obviously came in on a third down in overtime. One of the biggest plays of the game that was a complete disaster did not work. Uh, and then Carter Stanley ended up taking over later that season. He had arguably the best quarterback game of the David Beatty era. I still remember this, by the way like 250 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, it, it was a fantastic quarterback game. And afterward, David Beatty uh, shut down questions about the quarterbacks, didn't want to talk about them. So fast forward to Les Miles year one. I asked Les, you want one, you want two, what do you want to do? And, and he basically said, hey, I want to play with one quarterback. That is the goal. Now, the season got a little closer, and he goes, hey, maybe they'll both. And I think people started getting nervous again and, how many guys are going to play and, and all this. But Carter Stanley started 12 games last year. So, uh, and Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World actually just wrote a column about this. I think it's very fair to be skeptical that uh, of Les Miles' comments that the two quarterbacks will play. And quite frankly, I mean, these guys couldn't be any more different. You've got a 5'10 dual threat guy in Kendrick who you ask his teammates, what's the, you know, what's the best thing he does? And they'll say, he can extend plays and escape and move around. And then you've got Thomas McVitie, who has this rocket arm, this huge arm, who has poured into effort being uh, a better leader this year, who, you know, in the right system, he was brought in by Chip Lindsey. He would absolutely be the guy. But the story of his football career, I mean, he's had like six or seven different offensive coordinators just in college because, you know, he committed to one guy at Pitt. And then that guy left, he stayed committed, a new guy came in, then that guy left. Uh, and at Kansas, it's been the exact same thing. So, you know, I, I don't know who the better system fit is. I don't know who the, the better thrower or anything is. But, I mean, these guys could not be any more different. And you know that uh, players and, and whatnot are told to be withholding because I've asked the question to about five or six KU players, like, what is one thing you like about Thomas? And one thing you like about Miles, they could answer that question, you know, and be very nice about both of them. And most of them just say, you know, I can't tell the difference. It's just they do. They're they're both so great. And it's like these guys couldn't be more opposite. One's six right. five, one's five ten. One's a running quarterback, one's rocket arm. Like these are two different two. I what's it? Tom Brady versus Lamar Jackson? Like it's it's two different styles of, of doing things. It's. Um, and yet it, it's so I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It'll be interesting to see if they play one or two or more than that, because they have a wildcat option with Tory Lachlan. They have uh, Miles Fallon, who Les Miles has mentioned kind of weirdly as being in the competition. And then you have the young Jalen Daniels, who uh, a freshman who who knows? I've heard good things about him. Maybe he plays later in the year. I know a lot of it depends on who the quarterback is, but. What do you think year two of the Brent Deerman system looks like? It, it almost feels like year one after him taking over midway through last year and not having a whole lot of time to install his scheme. Well, I, that is the 62,000, whatever thousand, 500,000 million dollar question. Um, because, you know, I, I wrote a feature about Brent Deerman uh, when he was an analyst before he was hired. And 
I was just interested in his background. It, it wasn't, I didn't get tipped off that he was going to be the offensive coordinator a week later, which ended up happening. I was just interested uh, in his kind of journey with the RPO. And I talked to uh, Ty Reesner, I believe was his name, the, the quarterback who played for him uh, or a quarterback who played for him a few years earlier. And then I talked to the administrator, uh, I want to say Brett Chapel. I'm trying to remember all these names who hired him at Bethel to be a head coach. And, you know, one of the first things that he told me was when I hired him, I knew I was making two hires because I was hiring him. And then I was hiring the guy that was going to replace him because he was going to be gone as in he was going to be taking a fantastic job. And he actually called up at Kansas when Brent Dearman got hired and said, you better get your scoreboard fixed. Uh, because you're, you're going to need it working, basically. Brent Deerman offense, uh, Brent Deerman offense is going to put up a lot of points. Uh, this is a guy who has had success everywhere in high school, obviously in, in lower levels in college. He's worked at Auburn. He's been on the sidelines for the kick six, um, for the prayer at what I forget the name of their stadium. Um, the the uh, Auburn game against I think it was Georgia, where tip pass hail mary. Uh, they, you know, catch it, come down with the touchdown. He's been to a national championship game as an analyst. He's been around guys. So even if he hasn't quite been that D1 coordinator, he, he's had the ability to implement a system as both a coach and a coordinator. He's had to go down to a third string or a, a third string quarterback who's actually a wide receiver and still average 30 points a game at a lower level. So he knows what he's doing. The question to me has always been, will he get free reign to do it? Because you saw last year, you know, when he took over, certainly Texas Tech, Texas, 48 points at Texas, 37 against Texas Tech. That was a Brent Deerman offense. You saw it against Boston College. A lot of RPO looks, a lot of kind of different things with the formations, especially spread formations. That was very much Brent Deerman's handprints on everything. Carter Stanley recently did a podcast. He said like 80 to 90 percent of the plays were Brent Deerman plays uh, in that Boston College game. So that's what a Brent Deerman offense can look like. But then you saw Kansas State, where they never got into a rhythm, where Carter Stanley wasn't making the right reads and things weren't working very well. Then Oklahoma State the next week, all of a sudden a lot of different formations and plays that don't look like Brent Deerman plays started showing up. And you know, I don't know if that was trying something different because you know that things didn't work against K State. I don't know if Les Miles didn't say, you know. Hey, we're going to pound the ball. We're going to get back to that I formation and run that toss play up the middle and whatever. You know, I, I don't have the definite answers to all those questions, but uh, I think if you're Kansas, you have to let Brent Deerman implement a system, run his offense, use the RPO, get guys in good numbers advantage situations. So there are nine guys in the box, you're throwing the ball. If everyone is covered out wide and there are two safeties deep, you're handing it off to Puka Williams. You know, uh, the RPO is not just faked, you know, faking the handoff and throwing. There is a run element. It is the first part of a run pass option. And I think Brent Deerman and probably Les Miles truly want to accomplish both running and passing. Uh, players are under center less this fall camp. That was something I asked about. So I would anticipate this to be a mostly Deerman system. The question to me, though, is will Les Miles actually cut him free and say, hey, we're going to let you let you do things. The skill positions that KU has, starting with Puka Williams and going to Andrew Parchment, and those guys are really solid. Do you think those guys can answer the call and have a big year again like they did last year? I mean, we, we saw a lot of flashes from both 
Puka and Parchment and some of these other guys that these guys have potential to really take over. What do you think we're going to see out of the skill positions in 2020? Think about this. Think about if someone woke you up like three years ago and was like, hey, there's going to be a season where Kansas, if, if Oklahoma were offered the chance to trade skill position players with Kansas, they'd probably do it. <laughs> like Puka Williams is either the, you know, he's probably the second best uh, running back in the conference. Belton Gardner, Gardner behind him is a very competent backup. Uh, you think about that receivers group. Andrew Parchment was preseason all big 12. Stephon Robinson had like eight touchdowns in a five-game stretch last year. LJ Arnold is the real deal, the freshman. He has a huge catch radius. He can go up and get anything. He was a long jumper. He was a high jumper. He's just a great athlete. Uh, you think about Stephen McBride. He offers tons of speed. We've been hearing about Luke Grimm, a local product, another freshman. Kwame Lassiter has shown promise in the return game. You have Jamal Horn, who... Well, not listed to start a kick returner. I thought he was great in that role to start last year. Oh, by the way, he runs a four two eight or four two nine forty something. You know, absolutely mind boggling in the four two range. So you actually have, like you you kind of referenced, pretty outstanding skill positions at Kansas. I would venture to say the best skill positions. You know, uh, in terms of a complete number and depth, um, and maybe even talent at the top with Puka, who could be a day two NFL draft pick. That, that maybe you've ever had the two questions to me, can the offensive line play well enough to allow the quarterback to get the ball to those receivers on the outside? And I guess too, can the offensive line play well enough to open up space for Puka? Because it will be very easy um, for opponents to Kansas. If they only have to rush four guys and they're getting pressure consistently, or they can blow up a play with, you know, six guys in the box, uh, even if Kansas has seven guys in the block. So to me, the skill positions, uh, they could absolutely carry this offense, but they need the line to help them just enough in doing so. I think there are some question marks there too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk defense. Uh, what's DJ Elliott's uh, group look like in year number two? Well, and I don't say this to be mean or harsh, um, but it, they lost a lot of talent, and I think people have really focused in on that and said, well, you're losing, you know, three D-line starters and three 12-game starters in the secondary. It's on defense, Bryce Tornade and Mike Lee. Um, you know, it's going to take a huge step back. Kansas was one of the worst defenses in football last year. So, I'm, you know, I, I don't say that to be harsh or mean, but it can't get worse um, compared to what it was, especially because the year before, Kansas forced a ton of takeaways. Now, granted, I think he had Hassan defense playing safety. I actually thought he was much better, much better at safety than at cornerback. But uh, the vision and break system that Clint Bowen implemented, uh, really following kind of what Iowa State was doing, I mean, they ranked top 10 in the nation in takeaways and turnover margin. And that wasn't just one game. You know, obviously they had like six takeaways, I think, back-to-back weeks in, in non-con, but they did that all season. And, and even you think back to David Beatty's second year, defense had some bad numbers because the offense kind of constantly let it down. But that defense was good. That defense was middle of the pack, Big 12 good. So Kansas has had some decent defenses. Uh, it's going to be young. You're going to have like Karan Prunty. You're going to have guys like Stephen Parker, Gavin Potter, maybe Deuce Mayberry. You're going to have a bunch of young guys contributing, and that's a scary place to be. But I, I just look at it and say you got some good linebackers coming back. You've got Drew Prox, Kyron Johnson. You've got a number of guys you feel really good about. Uh, and if the problem is that they're young, I'll take a better, younger player uh, even if they have a little bit less experience, just because, you know, hey, that's promise for the future. So um, it'll be rough. 
they will have growing pains. And I think that's one of the reasons they could absolutely lose to Coastal Carolina is there are a ton of new players, a ton of young pieces, but, um, you know, maybe statistically they will be worse than they were last year, but you know, what's worse than worse than the big 12. It's once you're there, it's, you know, more about developing and then building it and putting it together. So um, that's kind of how I viewed this defense. I actually think, you know, the big 12 has this new rule with like when you have to cancel a game based off how many players miss. I think Kansas is relatively fine in just about any situation because their Kansas's depth, especially defensively, is a lot of guys who you say, well, they're about the same. They're, they're kind of at the same level. You know, I you can swap in this defensive back for that defensive back. There's not, you know, there there aren't many Bryce Tornadens where you just say that guy needs to be on the field always. Right uh, now, there are a few of those guys on offense, but even then, let's say you lose Kwame Lasseter and L.J. Arnold. Well, you still got a few receivers you feel good about. If Puka goes down, well, Velton Gardner can, I mean, he showed it last year. He can, for one game or so, he can, you know, take over and, and maybe the same with the quarterback. So I, I'm intrigued to see how that works too. Um, but yeah, the, the defense, I wouldn't expect a ton, but as long as they're laying the foundation, that's the direction you want to be moving. I'm really watching for Scott. Drew Prox. This guy was so good before he got hurt. He was leading the team in tackling. He was all over the field. I think that Drew's going to have a very good year and be the leader of this defense. Do you think he's the guy that's going to be the, the main piece on that group, or is there someone else you're looking for? No, I'm, I'm a big Drew Prox guy, and I'll tell you this, Tyler. I uh, I put him first team all preseason, or preseason all big 12 on my ballot. I agree. One of my linebackers picked. Uh, mostly because of exactly what you said. I mean, dude played three and a half games, basically, um, including, you know, being injured in one of them. And he had 39 tackles, 30 solo, multiple tackles for loss. I think he defended a pass. And you know what? He's not the fastest player on the defense, even, because that would be Kyron Johnson. But his game speed is faster than, I mean, I, his game speed is up there with, like, Mike Lee. He, the dude just absolutely, I think you said it right, flies around, makes plays, gets to the ball, um, tackles it. If he can stay healthy, I think that's a guy who has a shot at the NFL. And, and we reported a couple weeks ago that, you know, he was listed. He might still be listed on KU's roster as a senior. He is not a senior. He received no. a medical redshirt for his junior season. So he, in theory, another guy that could have three years left if he decided to stay. I think he's got a chance to make it to the NFL. If he could be healthy playing all 10 games this year and, come away with, I mean, he was on pace for 100-plus tackles last year. Uh, he could do that, then I, I think he'll have he'll absolutely have the chance with his physical tools to play at the next level, whereas someone like Bryce Tornaden, who was a very, very good college player and a community leader, very smart guy, you know, um, a, a huge influence on the team, he had some of the physical limitations that I would say a guy like Drew Prox does not have. Right, and... As you look at this Kansas team over the years, there's been so many weaknesses. Linebacker has actually been something that has been very good for KU that uh, we've seen from the Joe Deneens of the world. Uh, you know, all the way back several years, he would add to that good line of uh, linebackers we've seen KU produce uh, from time to time uh, as of late. Uh, we, we mentioned this Big 12 slate and how tough it is. Where do you see opportunities for KU uh, this season? What's a realistic expectation? How, how do you have the Jayhawks finishing out 2020? I think I'd, I'd have them as a two-win team uh, right about now. But, you know, I'll tell you this. You catch teams on the right week, 
with the, the right guys out of the lineup, whatever. Anything can happen. I wrote a column on this today. Uh, it's at or yesterday. It's at twenty four seven sports fog dot net. I don't I don't trust any Big Twelve team, any Big Twelve coach to accurately um, follow per se the Big Twelve's guidelines from this perspective. You you get a game canceled and it doesn't count as a forfeit if you have seven offensive linemen, one quarterback, four interior defensive linemen. It does not matter if they are scholarship or walk-on. Mm. You tell me that Oklahoma is down to one walk-on quarterback and only walk-on wide receiver, and they're going to play Texas, and they're not going to say, mm, I, don't, I don't know about that. I, I don't know if, if we're able to play this game. And all of a sudden, Lincoln Riley this past week just said, we're not going to reveal COVID numbers and names, too? A hundred percent. That was actually in our story as well. It's like, <laughs> I, I'm so skeptical, and, and and people say, well, how could they do that? How could they make another guy unavailable? I, I remember a time not to – where Montel Cozart was deemed too sick to start a game. It was 2015 or 2016. 2015, I believe. Um, he was too sick, too sick to play. The starter got injured in the first half, and Montel Cozart played the whole second half. <laughs> and that's the exact kind of scenario I think about where maybe he was sick, but where a coach would look at it and say – uh, let's just call that contact tracing and, and the whole position group's wiped out. If Oklahoma or Oklahoma State or Texas is down to exactly seven offensive linemen and five of them are walk-ons and they don't have their quarterback, uh, let's say it's Oklahoma State, they don't have uh, their, their you know Spencer Sanders, they don't have whatever, um, and they're going into a game against Oklahoma and maybe they need a win to make the, the Big 12 title game. I, I outlined this scenario. Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. Let's say that game gets canceled. Oklahoma State is 9 and 0. Oklahoma State is 8 and 1. Texas is 8 and 2 with a win over Oklahoma State. In this scenario, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State still have to play. If they don't play, Oklahoma State gets to go to the championship. If they do play and Oklahoma State loses, Texas gets to go to the championship. So what's Oklahoma State going to do? And now what do they do if all of a sudden a couple guys go down? You know, mm. aren't they incentivized to say, um, you know, let's say they have 53 exactly players available, which meets the Big 12 requirement, but most of them are walk-ons or whatever. Aren't they incentivized to go, hey, man, yeah, cough a few times or, you know, uh, he's got a, a nagging injury. You know, we hear about injuries. Uh, I can't be more sarcastic when I say right. that all the time compared to these serious injuries where coaches say, you know, he's, he's a little nicked up. We're going to shut him down and, and try and get that red shirt, basically. All of a sudden, there become these different things. I mean, suspensions for team rules. How does that kind of fit into things? There have been informal suspensions where players have been suspended and we don't know about it because a coach just says, oh, he's hurt. So there are so many questions. Mm -hmm. I, I actually asked Les Miles, do you expect uh, everyone to act ethically and honestly? And he said, I don't know how you play it any other way but square. Um I respect Les Miles' opinion. He will be in the Hall of Fame for coaching football, uh, but I would certainly not want him running the lie detector uh, <laughs> if you know I, I were involved <laughs> in anything because, man, I think Big 12 coaches are going to cheat and lie their bleep off if they get into a scenario where, hey, I can make the Big 12 title game with a win, and oops, Spencer Rattler and Tanner Mordecai went down. You know what? All my quarterbacks went down. They're contact tracing. They're all gone. Like someone needs to, I, I don't know how this is getting mandated, but I am so, so skeptical of this. Uh, I have no idea. Like it, 
I don't trust it. I don't trust anyone. I would not trust any of these people. I hope everyone stays healthy because that's the only way we're getting games in. So with that being said, we'll end on this. I know that it's great that we're having college football for you and I's jobs, and we're excited that we get to cover football in 2020. Do you think we should be playing Big 12 football and college football this fall? What say you as far as the decision by KU and the Big 12 and these rest of these conferences to go ahead and go forward with this season? You know, I, I really and truly respect the opinions uh, that have come out on both sides of this because from the go-and-play perspective, you need money to uh, give, you know, how many hundreds of people across the country the chance to go to college to not only do that but get their meals paid for. I, you know, I think they should get paid too. But whether or not you feel that way. Agreed. To get, to get meals, to get to go to college. A lot of people can't afford college. It's very expensive. Um to have the chance to play at the next level, to get clothing, to get to take trips to places you wouldn't get to go, to get in a strength program, to get you know tutoring and nutrition program. It's a really special opportunity. And if the money dries up and you can't give hundreds of people that opportunity, you know what, what a shame that would be. I've also heard Les Miles say or imply that he believes it's safer to be with the team than not. And I think in a vacuum that can be true. You know, if you're on a team, you have no reason to ever go to a grocery store. You have no reason to ever be driving around and going to parties in terms of you could just, you know, go to the facility, let the team handle your meals or, or however, however they do it, you know, keep to yourself, keep to your teammates. And if every single person follows that, I would say, yes, football is safer than, than not playing. The problem is, can you trust everyone to do that and that's not to blame the players because they're in a really tough spot but all it takes is one or two guys i mean we saw it at kansas state no no positive tests a couple guys come in go to a party whatever boom we're shutting practice down because we have too many positive tests so i, I think that's the other side of it there's so much we still don't know about covid um i think it's great that a policy has been enacted for blanket eligibility i think it's terrific that a policy has been act enacted to allow people to opt out and keep their financial aid. I would hope players have the ability to opt out and stay on their teams, whether that's Kansas or anywhere. I hope there wouldn't be coaches saying, hey, if you opt out, you're not going to be playing for me next year, but I'm sure that's going to be the case uh, mm -hmm. at some places because that's how it works. So I don't, I don't pretend to have the answers. I don't have the answers. I can see kind of all the arguments to it, but if everyone operates the right way, then I do think it's important to, to be able to play football and move along. It just comes down to, I guess, how much you trust everyone to do the right thing, um, to, to care about the people next to them. I mean, that's the whole thing about wearing a mask, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe it'll help you a little bit, but I wear a mask because it protects you. I, right. I don't wear a mask because it's going to keep me from touching something that has germs on it. Um, so I, I think it really comes down to that compassion and that caring. I, I don't have the, I don't have the answer, but I hope it goes safely because they are moving ahead with playing. So I truly hope uh, that, yeah, it goes ahead safely. You know, we don't, we don't see those issues flaring up over and over in, in college athletics, college football. And, you know, who knows, maybe they get in the whole season and it goes off without a hitch. And we're taping this on Wednesday. There's already been three big 12 games delayed yeah. as of week mm -hmm. one. And I know the big 12 put those breaks in the schedule, put extra bye weeks in there, but uh, to imagine this season, 
going perfectly is a bit unrealistic. We'll see what sure. happens down the road. But uh, definitely I- I'm excited to have football nonetheless, and, and uh, hopefully these guys stay healthy and we can get through this year. He's Scott Jason, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. Scott, appreciate the time. Uh, where can people uh, see all your work and the television show and all that stuff? Plug that for us one more time. Yeah, you know, I, look, the two easiest things, Kansas.247sports.com. We, you know, publish multiple Kansas stories every day. It's me, Kevin Flaherty, Carlos Peterson, Jack Johnson. It's a, a really good team Great team. there. Um, and then on Twitter, at Jason Scott. Pick one or the other. You don't have to do both. Honestly, you can avoid my Twitter. Pretend it doesn't exist. Just go to the website, Kansas.247sports.com, and watch the drive Sunday nights, WWW Speak Up. And you should go ahead and follow Scott anyway. Uh, you'll be glad you did. Scott, <laughs> Thank thanks you. for the time, man. And uh, don't be a stranger. We'll have you back on, get you on the radio show too. Thanks for uh, joining us, and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, TJ. That interview was brought to you by No Coast Lids, a hat brand based out of Lawrence, Kansas, a company that embraces Midwestern values such as hard work, having fun, and treating everyone the right way. Their signature hats include the Kansas Sunrise, the Kansas Thunderstorm, the No Coast Freedom, and many more. Each hat is specifically represented with wheat, windmills, buffalo, and storm clouds, which showcase the heart of Kansas. The four colors found in all designs display the four seasons we have. Green for spring, blue for summer, red for fall, and white for winter. Kansas Sunrise hoodies are also coming soon. All products can be found with pictures and pricing on No Coast Lids Facebook page in the shops section. Hat styles available include truckers, fitted, beanies, and visors. Visit No Coast Lids on Facebook. Tell them that Tyler Jones sent you, and you'll be glad you did. We continue here on the Jones Report. Big thanks to Scott Chasen of Fog.net, 24-7 Sports, covering KU, giving us the rundown on the Jayhawks, their matchup with Coastal Carolina, and the rest of the 2020 season. Be sure to give Scott a follow and uh, tell him we sent you. You'll be glad you did. It is now time for the season debut of the O'Connor Advisory Group, Pigskin Pick'em, where we pick five college games, five NFL games against the spread, and our crew that we have with us is going to be here all season long. It all starts with none other than Brian O'Connor of Brian o- of O'Connor Advisory Group. And uh, he's a former high school football coach in Lawrence and also is uh, my color commentator for high school football broadcasts on Uclick TV. And uh, we'll call him Coach Bo around here. Coach, appreciate you uh, stopping by and uh, joining us to give us your picks. Uh, Brian, what's going on, my friend? Man, I'm just here. I'm. Uh, it's... Uh... A little strange in a parking lot to do this, but we're here, and uh, we're going to knock <laughs> yeah. this thing out. And uh, what's going on at O'Connor Advisor Group these days, man? Man, you know, right now we're staying a little bit busy. It's, uh, you know, this COVID stuff is uh, starting to help us out a little bit now. Uh, there's a little commercial here for me. Uh, it is Life Insurance Awareness Month, and we're doing some uh, services for folks. We're doing uh, free life insurance evaluations. So if you got an old policy, you don't know what you got, give me a call. I'll take a look at it. Awesome. And uh, where can people reach you, Brian? Uh, you can check us out, O'Connor Advisory Group on Facebook, or you can call me uh, personally at 785-856-0720. 856-7020. Is... No, no, 0720. 0720. Thank you. 
for uh, clarifying that. And uh, he'll be with us all season long with our crew here. And uh, next we'll go to T.J. Reeves. Uh, you hear him calling college football on the weekends on Compass and uh, also a part of the Bucks Radio Network as their sideline reporter. T.J., appreciate you joining us, man. Uh, you're going to be pretty busy on uh, the weekends this fall. My goodness, it's good to be with you guys, and we got here. We got to the first weekend of the NFL season, really the second weekend of college football. I know we're kind of getting it in, in pieces here with the ACC starting, and eventually the other conferences are going to be there that are going to play. Will the Big Ten play? God only knows at this point. But, hey, we're excited for all of this. So uh, let's chop it up. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, and uh, Thomas Bridges uh, rejoins me now, and uh, Tom – We've been doing this pick'em for a couple years now, and this thing gets so competitive. You've won it a couple times now, right? I think so. I think it's pretty much been between myself and Billy, but there's been some mix-ups in there. I think Brian Nolan has got in there a couple of times, maybe even Reed. Uh, it has been competitive. This is the, you know, we finally decided that we were going to wager something other than bragging rights this year, and I'm excited for it. Uh, <laughs> you know, and we get to continually – trash talker we have the little text group that you know i billy doesn't enjoy it i thoroughly enjoy it throughout the day yeah well we'll be keeping track all season long on these picks and if the college football season were to end early of some sorts we'll pick more nfl games whatever it takes we'll try to do 10 games every single week so guys let's go ahead and get after it start on the college football scene the number one team of the land the clemson tigers taking on wake forest this game going to be played at wake forest the primetime game on ABC, Clemson, a big favorite at 31 and a half. TJ, let's start with you. What do you think of this matchup? It's a first game, and you you don't know what to expect. I mean, we saw Navy the other night just absolutely get jackhammered in an opening game, which shocked me uh, because I had them as the underdog in that one against BYU. Little did I know they weren't blocking or tackling for the last two weeks in practice uh, coach, you're a, you're a former coach. I mean, that's recipe for disaster. That's like a basketball team practicing without practicing shooting or like not practicing shooting and dribbling. I don't know what they were doing. But anyway, my point is with opening games, you don't usually know what to expect. This should be a blowout with Trevor Lawrence back with those weapons. I'm 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 going to I'm going to say take the Clemson Tigers here with those points. Lamb. Coach, what say you? Well, I got to agree 100%. Um I'm taking Clemson uh, first off, let me come out and say that you no know, one should take my bets here and wager on them. <laughs> but you can see a little bit of per- a little bit of favoritism here in some of these picks coming up. But in this one, in week one is so difficult. We have no idea who anybody really is. But with Clemson, we do know that they're Clemson and they have Trevor Lawrence, and that's good enough for me this week. And uh, you shouldn't be wagering on this. Instead, uh, invest in uh, life insurance with uh, the folks that have got our advisor group. In, <laughs> I, we can get you any kind of investment you need. Uh, we'll take care of it. There you have it. Uh, so both uh, two for Clemson so far. Tom, who do you like? Uh, Clemson, 31 and a half. You know, I have to agree with both of them. Uh, we, we know who Clemson is. We don't know who Wake Forest is. It's the first game of the season. Uh, you know, any more than 31, I, I think they probably win by 35 or more. But uh, it's, it's first week, safe bet, Trevor Lawrence. We know who Clemson is. All right. Uh, I got to agree with you guys. Clemson, uh, this one is uh, is going to be dynamite. Uh, this this group with Trevor Lawrence and ETN and, and company, I, I would not 
bet against these guys. I feel like I would be a fool to go against uh, the star power that's there at Clemson. And and we're going to see this about every single week in the ACC. Get used to it if you're not already. Clemson, I think, covers 31.5 just fine. Georgia Tech taking on Florida State. Georgia Tech coming off a three-win season. Florida State, it was a really bad year for their standards. They have a new head coach in Mike Norvell. Florida State, an 11.5-point favorite at home. Tom, we'll start with you this time. Uh, Florida State, you like the uh, Seminoles to cover? You know, I have to go ahead and, and roll with Florida State here. You know, we had previously said we don't know who a lot of these teams are. Uh, you had mentioned BYU. You know, we had mentioned BYU and Navy. I don't think a whole lot of people saw that coming, and, and few people knew that, you know, some of these teams haven't even tackled or been, you know, spent a whole lot of time in pads. Uh, and, and so I think, again, that the safe bet here is going to be Florida State. And, and what you said it's 11 and a half. That's, I'll go ahead and take that bet. Yeah, uh, Florida State. I, I think that you're looking at, at those points there. A two-touchdown game isn't hard to imagine Florida State winning this by. Maybe 28-14, somewhere in that range is what I'm thinking. Uh, Coach, what say you? Coach Bo, what, what are you thinking about this matchup between the two? All right, so I have zero feel for this game, and my biggest concern is Florida State coming off the, the really just a struggle last year and a new coach, but not so fast. I will take Florida State, lady 11 and a half, and just kind of throw it out there. I don't have a great feel on this one. TJ, what's your thinking? Okay, so speaking of not having a great feel, I live in the state of Florida. A lot of people think I live in the state of confusion, but I live in the state of Florida, and Florida State has had no feel, guys, for anything the last two years. They fired Willie Taggart. They took Mike Norvell away from my alma mater, my Memphis Tigers, after their best season ever. I don't know that Norvell is going to have them whipped into shape enough here in this. I think it's a close game, and I will take the points with Georgia Tech. I don't know that Georgia Ooh. Tech wins, but they keep it close. Okay, okay. So uh, there we have it. Uh, our first disagreement so far, TJ taking Georgia Tech. Uh, the rest of us will take Florida State. Duke and Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, a 20-and-a-half-point favorite against Duke. And uh, uh, Chase Bryce, the former Clemson quarterback, taking over as the starter at Duke. And uh, Coach Bo, we'll start with you this time. What say you about this matchup between uh, Duke and Notre Dame? Do you like the Irish to uh, cover at home? Okay, so I mentioned that there's going to be some things that I just can't pick. Uh, I will never pick Notre Dame. I have a fire and hatred. I'm probably the only Irish guy in America who doesn't care for Notre Dame. Uh, so, therefore, I will take Duke with the transfer quarterback and the points. All right. Uh, TJ, what are you thinking about this one? Very interesting that, I mean, we saw a Kentucky Derby with no fans last weekend run at Churchill Downs. We saw the Indianapolis 500 not far from South Bend. No fans at the Indy 500. We're going to obviously have – we've been watching Major League Baseball games with no fans, and we're about to have a game at Notre Dame Stadium that's not going to have fans there, which is crazy. But that's the matchup for Notre Dame uh, and, and Duke. Uh, the uh, That's a lot of points, but the Irish at home with Ian Book at quarterback, they're better. Duke wasn't very good last year. i got to see more from them in game one. I'll, I'll take Notre Dame in this one and lay the points. Tom, what are you thinking about Ian Book and company? Uh, it seems like he's been there for forever there at uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, it does feel like he's <laughs> been there forever. And, you know, going in, you guys mentioned no fans. Duke coming in, transfer QB. 
Uh, this one was, was a tough one for me, you know, and I think if it would have been any higher than 20 and a half, I probably would have had to take Duke. I can see Notre Dame at least winning by three touchdowns here. I, I got him by three touchdown Jesuses. I'll take take Notre Dame. You know, I was thinking about last year's game against Virginia where these two teams, Notre Dame and Virginia, went toe-to-toe for about two and a half quarters. And then Notre Dame was just too physical and too much, and they ended up pulling out a pretty decent-sized win. I think that's the type of performance that you start to see is that Notre Dame's going to be too much, that they'll wear out uh, Duke come late in this game and pull away by three touchdowns. I like Notre Dame to cover at home. Uh, a couple more college games for you. Number 18, North Carolina taking on Syracuse. North Carolina, a 15-point favorite. Mac Brown in year number two, coming off a 7-6 and six season. TJ, what's with these high expectations for Mac Brown already okay. at, at North Carolina? Okay, so I, I'm not sure if you had me here for my Hollywood good looks or for the <laughs> fact that <laughs> that I'm working this game for Compass Media national radio coverage of North Carolina and Syracuse, and I've delved in here, actual research going on for this matchup. Syracuse is, they're shorthanded, and then there's this. I mean, they got both starting running backs uh, from a year ago that was supposed to be back. They both opted out for COVID-19 reasons. In all seriousness, they had another star defensive player opt out They've lost several key players from last year to graduation. They're picked 13th in the ACC. Sam Howell is a dark horse Heisman candidate for North Carolina. This is wrong place, wrong time for Syracuse, I think, to even keep it close. The only the only question is, does North Carolina stop at like 40? Do they want 50 on Syracuse in the opener? That's what I fully expect this week in this game. So lay, lay the points with the heels. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good bet with uh, North Carolina at 15. Tom, uh, we've been following Mac Brown for quite some time here in the Big 12 Conference. It's crazy to think that this team has so much hype when they didn't really prove much last year. It was an improvement, sure, but a top 15 ranking off a 7-6 and six season? What, what is going on here with UNC? I do like them to cover, but hold the phone on the Tar Heels, right? Uh, you know, I, I like UNC at 15. It seems kind of uh, odd. It seems like an odd spot, but obviously with the other teams out, that's where they end up falling. Uh, Mac Brown, you know, we have been following Mac Brown for a while, and uh, I would like nothing more for them to go ahead and cover and get my pick right and then to up one Texas, hopefully. <laughs> you know, UNC <laughs> did have that close game with Clemson last year. They took it to the wire. They did. They did. Uh, Coach Bo, what are you thinking about uh, this matchup here? Uh, Mac Brown and, and company taking on Syracuse. I knew a little bit about the Syracuse players being out, and uh, I like Mac Brown. Um, I'm glad he's not a Texas, as I'm an anti-Texas guy. But, uh, <laughs> hey, um, I'm, I, you got to roll with them. I, I think you said it earlier, the game they played against Clemson last year showed me a lot. And it showed me that he's got that program in the right direction. Year two. And Mac Brown's an old school guy that if you're going to have something with all these COVID issues, I think if you got to look at these these really these old school guys and say they're going to be able to focus their teams early. And I like Mac Brown, so that's a 
but help me take North Carolina. Okay, I got North Carolina covering there at 15. Last college game, KU and Coastal Carolina. Let me break down this one for a second for you guys. Uh, <laughs> look, the, the line opened at 3.5, and, and we do these based on the opening line. Since then, there's been movement where KU is now a 7.5-point favorite against Coastal Carolina. Coastal won this game a season ago, 12-7 to in Lawrence, but a lot has changed since then. You've seen this offense evolve under Britt Dearman, who took over as the offensive coordinator halfway through last season. Puka Williams is back off of back-to-back all Big 12 first-team seasons and back-to-back 1,000-yard campaigns. This offense has some really good skill positions. We heard Scott Chasen tell us earlier in the show that right now Oklahoma would probably trade skill position players with KU if they could. It sounds crazy, but it's actually true. I think there's too much offense and horsepower, which we haven't said a whole lot about Kansas in the last decade, for Coastal Carolina to handle. I like the Jayhawks to cover to win this one by probably about 10 or 14. Three and a half is too easy for me. So, guys, Hopefully I've convinced you there that three and a half is going to be fine. Let's uh, go around the room and see if I've convinced you enough. Uh, Coach Bo, you're right here in Lawrence. Uh, how you feeling about the Hawks come Saturday? I think this is the only game they're going to be the favorite in all season, right? Um, Probably so. I don't know. Yeah. Um, hey, I'm an old school guy. I, you know, I know Les Miles from back in the day at LSU. He does not lose non-con games very often. Uh, I kind of throw out last year's game in this one. I mean, it was – him playing with a lot of guys he didn't really know. Give me the Hawks. Lay the lumber. I like them this week. TJ, what are you thinking about uh, KU and Coastal this weekend? I'm with you. Uh, I know you're there. You're closer to it. If you're telling me they got them, they got them. Uh, so I will take Kansas in this one. All right, Tom, what are you thinking here? Jones, I hope your team does not lay an egg. and uh, I don't think they will. I don't, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's the year KU lays an egg in, in this one. All right. Uh, this is – I, I think KU can go ahead and get it. This is not Nickel State, you know. <laughs> Coastal Carolina is not as good as Nickel State. Oh man, uh, let's uh, let's hope not that it's not one of those uh, KU no FCS opponent this time around to lose to in uh, 2020. Let's move on to the National Football League. A very good matchup, America's game of the week, uh, according to Fox, between the Bucks and the Saints. We'll start with you, TJ. Uh, you'll be calling this game on the Bucks Radio Network. Uh, what do you think about this matchup between these two teams and uh, your very unbiased opinion there? Yeah, right. Like I'm supposed to have an unbiased opinion <laughs> when I work for the team, and I come in on the Jones Report, and I'm supposed to pick against the Buccaneers. Right. I, I will say this. I've had fun with it all week. Uh, I'm going to say it again here on the program. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady in his Buccaneers debut at quarterback. You just have to get used to saying that after 20 years as the New England Patriots quarterback. But really, I mean, we saw Peyton Manning go be the Denver Broncos quarterback. We saw Brett Favre go be the Jets and the Vikings quarterback. We go all the way back, speaking of Kansas City, to Joe Montana coming to Kansas City in the early 90s and, and putting on Chiefs colors. So you get used to seeing these things in the NFL uh, I think the Bucks are ready to roll. They they want some payback on the Saints who swept them a year ago. Uh, I know uh, that Coach Bo's going to disagree with me that he's on board with the Saints, but I, I'm going to go against the Bucks on the Jones Report. It ain't happening. I'm going. I'm going Bucks here in this one to start one and zero with a win in the fanless Superdome. Okay, the uh, Bucks. You, you know what? I'll add in this. I like the Bucks to get to the Super Bowl. 
But I think this thing is going to take time. There's no preseason. You're still having to learn to play with Tom Brady. I like this team a lot, but I don't see them winning twice against New Orleans. I think this is the one that they lose. They'll win later in the season in Tampa. I like the Saints to cover in a very tight game. Coach, uh, Coach Bo, you're a big Saints fan, lifelong Saints fan. Huge game on Sunday. Tell me why your Saints are going to beat Tampa Bay. Okay, look, I am a card-carrying member of the Houdat Nation. <laughs> but let's talk about some things here. First off, Tom Brady, new uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brett Favre, great points earlier. Brett Favre went to a new team. Joe Montana was a Kansas City Chief. But you know who's not changing teams anytime soon? That's right, Drew Brees. <laughs> and Drew Brees is still in New Orleans. This is going to be a really high-scoring game. Both teams are going to get after it. I expect a really high-scoring game. Um, but I'm not going to pick against the New Orleans Saints. I think the Bucks for the season have a really good chance to put something special together. But my other point of question on this is, when have we ever seen a team that's gone and got all these veterans and it actually work? Yeah, that's a fair question to ask. I think that Vikings team that Brett Favre was on had a lot of veterans, but they still didn't make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, you know who beat them? That was the Saints, yes. <laughs> it was the Saints, that's right. And you Saints won the Super Bowl that year. Um, hey, I, I think that what we're going to see is a two-team race in the NFC South. I think those two teams are going to boat race everybody else to the end. And this game could be the difference in the season on who gets a bye and who doesn't. Uh, Saints all the way. And it's week one, and that game has that much impact as far as the rest of the season goes. So we're split so far. TJ likes his box. Coach going with his Saints. Tom, you're going to be the deciding factor here. What are you thinking about the Saints and the Bucks in New Orleans, the Saints as a four-and-a-half-point favorite? Jones, I think you could probably guess if, you know, we've been making bets here lately, I think you could probably bet five on who I would take. Um, I will go ahead and take New Orleans as well. Uh, it is in the Superdome. No fans. We'll see if the uh, Leary Superdome can hold true to that. I think it will. Uh, Drew Brees just came out and said he knows the time is coming, uh, you know, for the end of his career. Sorry, Coach, it, it is coming. Uh, this year he's going to said he's going to let it all out. They look like they're on back on track with Alvin Kamara. Uh, I think they could split the season. Uh, the Bucks and the Saints. I do think the the Bucks could pull easily pull it off in Tampa, uh, but they're not getting the first one. Okay, so uh, there we have it: three for the Saints, one for the uh, Bucks. Here, four more NFL games: uh, the Texans and the Chiefs coming up tonight on Thursday Night Football, the NFL kickoff game. And I look back at last year's matchup between these two teams and the Texans. Got off to a great start. Their offense was going so well with that 28-3 lead, but eventually the Chiefs just became too much and ended up winning that game by over 20 points. I think that when you look at this matchup, the Texans are not any better than they were a season ago. The Chiefs are actually better than they were a year ago. I think they make a statement and win this game. I got a big win for the Chiefs. I know that sounds like a homer pick, but give me the Chiefs by 21, folks. I got a three-touchdown win for the Chiefs. Wow. They cover the uh, the 10 points uh, spread. Let's uh, let's go to both first. Uh, what are you thinking on, on this one between the uh, Chiefs and Texans? Okay, we got two of the three 
great young quarterbacks in the league. Yes. Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. You know, I put uh, Lamar Jackson in there with them. Um, I'll tell you the reason that I, I like the Chiefs to win this game and cover. It's two words. Bill O'Brien. <laughs> I just have zero, zero confidence in that man. Uh, he just He's the reason that they lost the game in the playoffs. Uh, I have zero confidence in him. I will take the Chiefs and lay the points. TJ, you want to make some friends in Kansas City? Few guarantees in life, uh, death, taxes, and if the Texans are winning, O'Brien ain't faking a punt in his own end again this year like he did in the playoff game to help swing the momentum back to Kansas City. The Chiefs are going to roll in this game. I don't know if they win by 21, but the line is, what, 9 or 10? Yeah. I think the Chiefs can win by that. I'm not taking the Texans on the night they're putting the banner up in Kansas City. No, sir. <laughs> and there actually be fans, about 22% capacity at Arrowhead tonight for this one. The Packers taking on the Vikings. Minnesota, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Green Bay swept this uh, series last year. Tom, we'll start with you. What are you thinking about the Packers and the Vikings? Jones, well, I was going to tell you I was going to take Kansas City oh, please. by Go 10 ahead. points. I'm just I'm giving you a hard time. Uh, TJ, I thought it used to be death taxes and the Spurs making the playoffs. Rest in peace. Uh, go Spurs, go on this end. God, that that just hurts. That was a that was a dagger. Uh, it used to be death taxes and Nicole Kidman's never winning an Oscar, but that happened too. So these things happen. Yes, that's true. Well, as long as the Texans don't cover the spread, I'll be we'll be all right on that pick. Uh, Packers, Vikings, Jones. Uh, I love this matchup week one. Uh, I am a secondary fan of the Packers. Grew up a Brett Favre fan. I like what Aaron Rodgers has been able to do from what I've seen and heard uh, in practice. It didn't seem like there's any slippage there. He seems like he's going to try to lock that job up uh, all season and, and stuff out uh, Jordan Love there. I like Aaron Rodgers to come out and legit have a a classic Aaron Rodgers performance. I like the Packers in this one. They say Aaron's had a great camp as he's trying to prove something with Jordan Love behind him, but I think that but wait, But wait, what else are they going to say? He's, I mean, nobody <laughs> yeah. can see him. That's true. They haven't been preseason games. Yeah. Are they going to say, you know, we're really concerned. Aaron looks like he sucks this year. They're not gonna <laughs> say that. True. Fair, fair point. Uh, but looking at Minnesota, that run game with Dalvin Cook and company, I think that Dalvin Cook is going to be too much for this Green Bay defense to handle. I like Minnesota to take care of business at home. You heard me earlier in the show pick Minnesota to win the division. I think it starts on a good note with them winning and covering. Probably a touchdown win somewhere around 28-21, something like that. I'll take the Vikings to cover. TJ, who you got in this one? I'll agree with you on Minnesota at home. I've been in that building a couple of times uh, with the Vikings and them blowing that Norse bullhorn or whatever that thing is. Uh, and, the, and the guy on the motorcycle uh, that comes riding out and leading them out on the field. So uh, I, Dalvin Cook, yes, with something to prove. Remember, no Stephon Diggs now for them, so they got to have a couple of other receivers maybe step up. Great rivalry game, but I'll take the home team. I'll take Minnesota. All right. How about you, Coach Paul? He has a great point about uh, the Vikings at home. I have been there as well. It's at the new stadium I went a couple of years ago. The skull chant, they get behind them. Well, is there going to be fans there this week? No. None. Yep. Right. No skull chant. Um, if you're going to tell me you're going to give me Aaron Rodgers and points, guess what I'm taking? <laughs> Aaron Rodgers and points. 
Okay, so uh, there you have it. Uh, the oh, and I don't think they're going to change any rules for the Vikings to win this game, are they? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll hold the phone on that. You never know. Um, a couple they're, more. They're not going to change it for the Saints, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> a couple more for you. Cowboys and Rams. Dallas, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. First game for the Rams ever in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. We'll start with the Rams fan, Thomas Bridges. Tom, what are you thinking about your Rams taking on the boys to open up SoFi Stadium on Sunday Night Football? Well, you know, we've all seemed like we got to be a little homerish already with the Bucks and the Saints and the Jayhawks. So I got to be homer now here with the Rams. I hate Dallas <laughs> so much. <laughs> I, I, I literally, and I'm so happy this is the first matchup. It's going to be on Sunday Night Football. Uh, no fans in SoFi. I am excited to see the inside of this stadium, at least on TV. Um, I got the Rams. It's two and a half points. Uh Crazy, you know, sideline type things going on here. Dallas stole Greg Zerline from the Rams. They also stole John Fassel from the Rams. Great special teams coach. One of the best. Um, I guess you could say the Rams took Wade Phillips from Dallas through multiple different lines. (laughs) But whatever that means, I got the Rams coming in. Uh, McVay hasn't lost a home opener yet. Uh, in his in his time with the Rams, I got the Rams by I'm I'm taking the Rams by 14. TJ, Ooh. what do you think of this matchup? I like the Rams here too at home as the underdog and on the uh, free plug on the Three Dog Thursday podcast of which Tyler's a guest on there too. We were all over this game that 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 looked more like a pick'em game. The Rams getting points at home. I like Thomas's point about how well McVeigh has been in home openers. Uh, I don't think they're going to miss Todd Gurley. Watch out for Cam Akers, the former Florida State running back, to maybe get some carries in this game. I know the Cowboys have Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, it's usually electric. When the Cowboys are there, typically they would have like 30,000 or 40,000 Cowboy fans, even in the opposing stadium. There are no fans in this one. So that will be weird. I'll still take L.A. to open up the new stadium with the win. All right. Uh, Coach, what are you thinking about this one? Okay, so – I'm also a Cowboys hater. That's my least favorite team in the NFL. Um, hey, but I tell you, seriously, um, I like the Rams. I like them a lot this season. I like them to win the West. Whoa. Um, yes, I like the Rams to win the West. And um, and I think they're going to win this game. I think they're going to win this game somewhat comfortable, six, seven, eight points in that area. So give me the Rams. All right. Coach, you're still aware that the Seahawks and the 49ers still play in the West. I'm just checking. It's been a weird year in 2020, but they're still in the division. You're aware of that. Yes. I, I think that last year was kind of the anomaly for the Rams. I, I like the Rams, what they're doing. Okay. Uh, I, I have the Cowboys winning the NFC East, but much like what I said about the Bucks, how it's going to be a project and it's take time, I think that's the case with the Cowboys here, that Mike McCarthy, he's a good coach. He and Dak will be a good combination, but – I think you got to give it, you know, a couple weeks before they find their rhythm, uh, find their footing. I like the Rams at home to win and cover a two and a half. Last game on the slate: Seahawks and the Falcons. The Seahawks a one and a half point favorite on the road against Atlanta. Let's start with TJ this time. TJ, I thought this would actually be more that Seattle would be a bigger favorite than one and a half. What say you? The home, the home field advantage for Atlanta, and I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it's at least nine, and it may be ten times in a row now. Seattle has come to the Eastern time zone in the regular season and won the game outright, no matter who they're playing against. 
It's wild how good they have been. It's the opening game. Again, who knows what to expect. But Pete Carroll always has his guys tuned up to come cross-country three time zones and play in the Eastern time zone. Uh, Atlanta with Todd Gurley, the Georgia product. How good is that knee? The Rams The Rams were obviously suspicious about that and, and allowed him to leave. See you later. Um, I think this is the Seahawks winning here again. Uh, on the road in, in the uh, in the cross country travels and matchup, I'll take Seattle to win. Coach, uh, what are you thinking? Okay, a great point. Now, usually when the team is coming from the West Coast all the way to the East Coast, they're going to go home with a loss. Uh, but Seattle somehow, Pete Carroll is not intimidated by that, uh, and I'm not picking the Dirty Birds to ever win. <laughs> so, give me Seattle, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay. Uh, Tom, what are you thinking here? Yeah, I got to go. As much as I don't like the Seattle Seahawks, uh, Pete Carroll's got a good thing going. Uh, you know, they've they've brought in some talent on defense even, and, and uh, the West is shaping up. NFC West is shaping up to be the best division in football uh, probably once again, and uh, I, I don't see the Seahawks dropping this game. This is my home loan mortgage bet guarantee is Seattle – at one and a half on the road. I just don't see on paper anything that resembles the Falcons being at the level of Seattle. I think Seattle wins this by a touchdown or more. I'll go with the Seahawks at one and a half. So there you have it. Those are our picks for this week. The O'Connor Advisory Group, Pigskin Pick'em, week number one. We'll be following all season long to see where we're at in the standings as we try to compete against each other, us four, every single week here on the Jones Report. Before we go... Uh, quick plugs here, TJ. You got the the games this weekend and the podcast. Uh, people can find you all over the place here in the next few days. Yeah, I just I don't stop talking. We don't sleep. I'm a lot like Tyler Jones here in that <laughs> regard. Uh, Three Dog Thursday is the podcast. Find it wherever you find podcasts. We pick underdogs on that one a lot of the time in college football. The NFL now that the seasons are here, love that. And I'm looking forward again to calling North Carolina and Syracuse on Compass Media Network's national coverage of the game. Tiki Barber, the former New York Giant, the former Virginia Cavaliers on the call with me this week for Carolina and Syracuse. Looking forward to it. Thank you for the plug. Great to be with you, Tyler. Yeah, appreciate it, TJ. And uh, Brian O'Connor, O'Connor Advisory Group. Uh, Coach, uh, tell us uh, one more time about what's going on at O'Connor Advisory Group and where people can get a hold of you. Hey, we're helping you retire. If you need help with retirement and investment savings, give us a call. We want to help. So you can give us a call. You can check us out. Facebook, O'Connor Advisory Group. Uh, phone number 785-856-0720. And I'm going to be on the call for Lawrence High versus uh, Washburn Rule Friday night with our man Tyler Jones here. Yeah, you click TV. We'll have the broadcast for oh, you. You click, you click TV. Looking forward to that. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Tom is going to stick around for the end of the show, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you. That is the O'Connor Advisory Group Pigskin Pick'em. Follow along with our picks all season long here on the Jones Report each and every week as we'll be joined by not only myself and Thomas Bridges, but also uh, T.J. Reeves and Brian O'Connor here on the Jones Report each and every week. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you as we continue with the uh, final bits and pieces of today's show. We want to talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs and uh, first off, Tom, the Bucks are eliminated. They're gone. I know that Giannis got hurt there and, and dealt with that injury, uh, but it's still not an excuse 
there's no reason why they should have been losing to the Heat on paper. Um, yes, some of this falls on Giannis and that team, but Mike Budenholzer, this guy was touted as one of the best coaches in the league not too long ago. I think he deserves a lot of flack for this team not getting past the second round and uh, you know coming up short once again. You know, look at last year against the Raptors; they were up two games to nothing and lost four straight here. Uh, maybe Budenholzer is not so hot like people thought he was. Yeah, you know, or maybe one of those teams that, uh, you know, he can get you there but can't get the job done, it seems like, uh, or it's becoming to seem like that. Uh, you know, I know Giannis was hurt a little bit, but at the same time they had him for most of it. And, and you know, coming out the first two games they had Giannis and it, you know, didn't seem to make a difference, and this guy's supposed to be the MVP. Um, so I think he still will get the MVP, but that's going to be an awkward little ceremony there from a Zoom call at his house. Huh. Um, right? Uh, you know, I don't know what to think of the Bucks, and the situation now just uh, screams to me, KD and, and OKC before he left. You know, a lot of people think, okay, well, uh, you know, this is – you know, this is going to be uh, the same Bucks team coming back next year. Not so fast, my friends. I think that Giannis could leave. Uh, I, don't, I mean, I think that's a really good possibility. Uh, no way he signs an team. extension at this point, right? I mean, if he, he is absolutely staying, absolutely If he is staying, he's they're going to have to fight for him in free agency like everyone else. Right? Yeah. There's. Uh, I mean, there's there's no way that he's just coming back on his own volition without anything changing or anything else, any promises being made. You know, they had uh, a great, you know, regular season of what we could play with it. And, uh, you know, even a, a great first round minus that one game against the Magic. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, thought that that was going to be the same case against Miami. Okay, we'll lose the first one and then they were going to come back and, and, and give them a run. But, I mean, I think not only the coaching may, might not have been so hot, but, you know, I think that as far as the second-round matchup, the Bucks didn't want to see the Miami Heat. I mean, I think that was a nightmare matchup uh, for the Bucks. You know, they play through Giannis. Giannis gets hurt. Um, and then Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero have just been going off from the three-point line. Uh, Jimmy Butler, obviously, you can tell he's just the leader of this team defensively and, and maybe not 100% offensively, but he gets the job done there as well. Uh, I mean, this is Jimmy Butler's team. He's making it evident and, and one of the more impressive series uh, that I've seen in the in recent history as far as the Miami Heat dominating the one seed in the second round. And, and Eric Spolstra, this guy got a lot of flack early on in his career in particular with the Heat only winning two titles in those four years when they were favored to win all four years. But Spolster is turning out to be an excellent coach, one of the best in the league. And this was, I think this season, is his most impressive coaching job yet. To get this team to the Eastern Conference Finals, what a job by him to get this done. Spolster just manhandled uh, Budenholzer uh, in this series. And, now for the Heat, as they await their uh, Eastern Conference Finals opponent, Tom, do you think the Heat, whether it's the Celtics or the Raptors they face, 
Do you think they could beat either one of those teams and find themselves in the uh, NBA Finals when it's all said and done? 100%. Um, I, I have a feeling that, you know, they could ride that high right on into the finals. Um, you know, they've got to be feeling good. They've got to have a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, they played team ball, got the job done. And, and I feel like that at this point, um, the Heat, I wouldn't have any problem uh, saying that whoever they face in the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, they'll either win or give a hell of a run. Um, and, you know, Boston Raptors, they've played a tight physical series. The, the, whoever comes out in game seven of that is going to be tired. Um, not to say that Miami's not maybe a little gassed as well, but uh, just from the looks of it, they, I mean, they, they took care of business. Uh, so, I mean, Miami, edge Miami. Now, last thing on this. We'll wrap up on uh, the Bucks heat series on this last point. Isn't there going to be a big what-if on the Bucks of if this team never went to the bubble and if this regular season would have played out with them having home court in Milwaukee? And then also the Jacob Blake situation. When that whole thing went down, look at their record after their boycott. They weren't even a shell of themselves. Um, you know, I heard Whitlock say that he thinks they had Jacob Blake fatigue, that this really affected this team's performance. I don't know if that's the case or not. But, Tom, I, I think the Bucks are going to look back at this. You know, this is one that I think Bucks fans for years to come, especially if Giannis ends up leaving, is going to be say, saying this is the one that got away. Yeah, I think so, too. And, I, I don't necessarily wouldn't just call it straight up to Jacob Blake fatigue. Uh, I will say just being in the bubble with COVID, uh, with you know the things that are happening in this nation right now, um, and and racial inequalities and things like that. Uh, you know, I think it is emotionally exhaustive to some point, and it, it's you know we, we can say it's emotionally exhaustive, and and maybe not so much to people who are literally in a bubble in Disney world, but, uh, coming under fire from both sides, um, you know, it happens close to your hometown type deal. Um, you you don't get to play at home as the one seed, really what I think it comes down to. And, and we'll look back on this 10 years from now and say, yeah, probably so. Um, there, the, the series have been super close. I mean, I'll bet a few series in the first round weren't closed. Uh, but take this and space it out and have to, you know, go to each home, like home and home, you know, get home games in front of fans and get that energy going. I, I think we're talking a completely different outcome. I really do. Uh, I, I think now more than ever, we, we understand uh, what home court means. And I, I don't think the Clippers Dallas series is as close. Uh, I think the Bucks Miami series could have been completely different. I think it could have been opposite. Uh, I mean, Boston, my or Boston, Toronto. I could have seen that coming either way. Um, but there's a lot of these games that could have been swayed one way or another with fans or being being home court, getting to sleep in your own bed. Uh, and I guess that goes for both sides. But uh, you've been in the bubble so long. Yeah, you're just now getting family in. Uh, you know, they, they did joke about Mike Budenholzer 
not getting to see his family and well now you get to see your family and uh you might be on unemployment you know those <laughs> little jokes like that but which i thought was pretty funny um but uh yeah i I'm, i think these playoffs this is like i said 10 years from now we're gonna look back and thought oh man that was crazy yeah uh, for sure. Let's move a little quicker on these. Uh, Celtics-Raptors, that series tied at three games apiece as the Raptors avoided elimination last night in just a classic overtime thriller, double overtime win, 125-122. Made some money off the Raptors uh, with that one too, by the way. Um, game seven, the two best words in all the sports as uh, that game will be played coming up in uh, tomorrow, actually. Uh, a primetime game on TNT. Tom, uh, who do you have ultimately taken it? I- I've been on the Celtics since the playoffs began. I picked them to come out of the East. I think i got to stick with the Celtics to win this game and-, and beat the Heat. But this could really go either way. And in the Raptors' case, win or lose, they have way surpassed expectations with losing Kawhi to be in this position to where they are five games away from going back to the NBA Finals. What a story for Toronto. Yeah, Siakam's really been something else for them. Um, and Nick Nurse. You know, I almost, when you were talking about taking Boston, I was thinking in my head, oh, okay, you know, I'll take Boston too. I'll still stick with Boston here. I think they win game seven, but. Um, you know, almost caught myself saying, oh, Brad Stevens is a better coach. But, you know, hold the horses up. I mean, I think they're pretty deadlocked even, and that's obviously why they're in game seven right now. It, it is tough to close any team out, though. With being up 3-2, we saw that against the Bucks pulling one out without Giannis um, and, and pulling that game out to not get completely swept. Um, you know, I, I think that maybe have been the case. Uh, with game six, that the Raptors weren't going down uh, just that easy, and that game went to overtime, obviously. Um, so I, I still have to take Boston here, though. I'm with you. Let's move on to the Western Conference. The Lakers leading the Rockets two games to one. The Rockets took game one, where the Lakers took games two and three. And it seems like, Tom, the Rockets have made things tougher on the Lakers than they expected. Do you think that's credit to the Rockets, or should there be a level of concern with this Lakers team right now? What say you as far as the Lakers? I mean, I think we all agree you know, pretty handily that the Lakers will win this series, but should there be concern about where the Lakers are at as they get closer to the conference finals here? Um, you know, maybe so, especially if they end up winning this series and the Clippers pull through. That'll be one for the ages. Um, but if that happens, you know, we were so quick to say Lakers immediately, Clippers immediately, and both these series are at 2-1 and have been tough-fought games for the most part. Um, now, I, I don't know if that Clippers – I didn't even catch that if, if they went up 3-1 or the, not. The uh, Clippers did win um, that, yes. Right. So, uh, you know, with that being said, it, it – could shape up to be Clippers, Lakers, the way it seems now. But uh, that being said, the Rockets can score. The Rockets can hang with anybody on any given night because their capability to score so high uh, really is dependent on the, the play. I will say of Russell Westbrook, he's either been really good or really shitty. Um, so I don't see the Rockets winning that one, but I, I think it could go six, and I'm not ruling out seven just yet. 
Yeah, uh, I think that the the Lakers are at their best, Tom, when LeBron is facilitating and Anthony Davis is their primary scoring option. And if they could establish that, if that could be their go-to, then they would be just fine. But it seems like they have a different game plan every night and don't have a system in place. If they just let AD do his thing and let LeBron be that facilitator, that's the thing that's so good about LeBron James's game that, that is different compared to most superstars is that he makes his teammates better. LeBron is at his best when he's getting other guys involved. And I think that's what we need to see more from the Lakers here is LeBron be that point forward and really just set things up for AD. If they can do that and then have some openings for guys like Danny Green and company, uh, watch out. The Lakers can be lights out. They just haven't figured out that offensive scheme to be consistent just yet. Right, and, and in game in game two, they seem to be pretty consistent and allowed the Rockets to kind of come back there and give them a quick scare and end up pulling through there. But, uh, you know, the Lakers can be lights out on any given night. You know, a lot of Lakers fans would put the blame on Danny Green and, uh, you know, the Rockets didn't really get to see – or the Raptors didn't get to see that side of Danny Green. But uh, they used to call him Fire Nice in San Antonio uh, because either he was lights out or uh, – couldn't couldn't shoot a ball in the ocean. Right, exactly. Last one, uh, Clippers and the Nuggets. Clippers up three games to one. Playoff P in game three. I think we're getting close to actually where he can earn that nickname. Um, we, we still kind of laugh at it, Playoff P, considering Paul George's history in the playoffs. But nonetheless, Playoff P in game three at 32 points. And they had a pretty significant win Last night, as uh, we saw 30 from Kawhi, are the Clippers finally figuring themselves out here, Tom? I mean, maybe they are. We talk about playoff B and, and you know, game two in and in a game that the Nuggets really should have closed out and figured that out, I think, in the last four minutes of that game or maybe the last six that the Nuggets went without a basket for over three and a half minutes. Uh, and, and, you know, some of the blame is on the players for that, but I will still say some of the blame and maybe I'm finding a new coach to pick on and maybe that's Mike Malone. Uh, I don't think he's the guy going forward. Um, and, and if they go ahead and get, I'm, I'm not convinced. Okay. I'm not full out ready to fire him. Uh, but there I've seen people, you know, talking about on Reddit and on Twitter on how Mike Malone is not the guy that he's got gotten him there, but they need someone to take them a step forward. Or like we've talked about multiple times in the show, they need another shooter. Yes. Um, you know, and Porter Porter's coming along. Well, he's still young, uh, shows a lot of promise there. Uh, Michael Porter jr. Shows it just been amazing. Great, great steal for them. Uh, but they do need another shooter. Uh, Jones. I, I don't think this is going I think this is going five games. I think the Clippers clean them up in five. I don't think that's a bad take on Mike Malone. I just can't say it as adamantly as you can. I still need to see more to feel confident one way or the other as far as an opinion on Mike Malone goes. But I like the Nuggets in their future. they got some pieces there, but they're still not quite ready for prime time. The Clippers uh, were my pick to win the championship at the beginning of the year. Now they're starting to come into form. Last thing on the NBA, uh, Oklahoma City 
surprised the basketball world this week when they announced that they were mutually parting ways with Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan just came off his best coaching job in Oklahoma City, uh, was the coach of the year in the NBA. The Thunder were given, what, a .01% chance to make the playoffs, and not only did they make the playoffs, they went seven games with the Rockets, the same team that they traded away Russell Westbrook to. Uh, just outstanding. They way overachieved, this Oklahoma City team did. But you still can't forget what happened in the previous years. Kevin Durant made it no secret that he did not want to play for Billy Donovan and the collapse that they had in KD's final year, in particular Game 6, uh, where Clay Thompson went off and ultimately lost that series, got eliminated, KD went away. Um, never could adapt with Russell Westbrook being the number one option. Um, you know, there were some good times, but there was still a lot of bad of Billy Donovan's tenure in Oklahoma City. Mixed results. And I think that Sam Presti and company, they said, you know what? We're re- in the process of rebuilding, and, you know, they need somebody that they can be fully confident in going forward. Um, that they can fully trust to develop these guys because they can't risk to go through the mistakes that Billy Donovan presented. Now, Billy D, he very well could have said, look, you know, there's some contending teams that want me. I could stay in the NBA or about every college in college basketball would offer him a job uh, if he so chooses to go back to college basketball. Billy D's still going to have plenty of good options. He's going to be a Hall of Famer based on his days at the University of Florida. I mean, the guy can coach, but I don't think he was the right fit for Oklahoma City, and I think the Thunder and Billy D both recognize that. Um, as surprised as I was by this decision, Tom, um, I will say I don't disagree with it uh, as far as Oklahoma City moving on uh, with this day coming. I thought if they were going to make this move, it would have been a year or two or you know three years ago. I didn't expect this to come now. Right, and you know how I feel about Billy Donovan. It's not, it's not so much that I dislike Billy Donovan as a person, um, and it's not so much that I'm even. No, that he's big a great fan. guy. Right, it's just like uh, it's just so frustrating to watch. I'm not even a fan of the Thunder, right? And I'm sure there's a Thunder fan out there that that has more animosity towards Billy Donovan now. Between me and you and the show, it's become almost a running joke. So I feel like I have to say good riddance to Billy Donovan. I think he goes back to a college team. I think he does great. Um, Now, Jones, interesting tidbit I've been thinking about here. If they beat the Rockets and then lose in the second round, I think the outcome is still the same. And and I would not be shocked if Sam Presti picked up the phone and called Brett Brown. Yeah, uh, that would not surprise me. The, when it comes to like the wish list, um, I would say that Bill Self would be your first phone call to come back home to Oklahoma City, his hometown and everything, but that's one of those deals that's wishful thinking. I don't think Bill Self is leaving KU unless things have really just you know hit the fan uh, and are really bad. I don't see Bill Self leaving, but he would be my first phone call. Um, but Brett Brown, I, I didn't like the way things went in Philly with Brett Brown I know that they have the connection, the San Antonio connection, but I would ignore that. Nate McMillan would be an interesting choice. Uh, he was successful in Portland, 
successful in Indiana. Uh, also was actually the head coach of the Supersonics back in the day and did a good job. So he's been with his organization, although it's completely different than it was back then. Uh, so that would be interesting. I don't think Mo Cheeks, I know his name's come up. Mo is a great assistant coach, but he's not a good head coach. Um, not you know, Alvin Gentry, because don't get me started on another coach that I don't care for. Right. So, you know, I, I would say that probably my favorite as far as among NBA names of coaches with a coaching experience Maybe Nate McMillan's your guy, and McMillan has developed players. He has a history of that as well. That might be the leader in the clubhouse to be the next head coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, but, you know, Billy Donovan, when they hired him, that was off the wall. Uh, you know, hired him from Florida, um, you know, a college coach and everything here. I think that Presty might have something in mind that we're not thinking of as far as whether it's maybe a. Uh, uh, a former player that hasn't coached before or a college coach. Nick Collison. Or, you know, Nick Collison, his name. Yeah, sure. Uh, I wouldn't rule out Presty in his unique brain thinking outside the box and hiring somebody we're not talking about. Yeah, he could He could pull somebody. I, I mean, maybe prisoner of the moment because Brett Brown just got fired. And, Did anyone think know, maybe, Steve Nash was going to end up in Brooklyn? <laughs> no, no, no. And – and the funny thing about it is that, you know, rumors came out of reports and it probably is true that Nash tried to get Dirk to come be an assistant coach. Uh, you know, I, I mean, maybe who, who knows who Sam Presti gets, you know, no one saw Paul George and Carmelo getting pulled in Oklahoma city. Obviously that didn't work out too hot, but you know, I, I could see maybe a former player of some sorts. I could see McMillan. I could see Brooks, um, uh, or not, sorry, not Brooks, Brett Brown. Yes, could call Scott Brooks back. Um, but I could I could see him kind of going off the wall there and, and maybe taking a shot. Now, as a KU guy and an Oklahoma City guy, would you, would you be disappointed if Bill Self left the Jayhawks? Uh, yes, I, I would be disappointed. The KU fan in me would be very sad. But the Oklahoma City Thunder fan in me would be very happy. Um, if that makes sense, it, it would, it would crush me and I would love it both. Um, the reality is with the thunder in this rebuild, Tom, no matter who the head coach is, that you are going to have to move on from Chris Paul and some of these pieces and get that rebuild going sooner rather than later. And it doesn't matter who the head coach is that they are going to be bad, uh, for a couple of years. You got SGA there and a couple other young pieces, but in order to build this thing, right. In this direction, uh, you have to give up being a playoff contender and uh, accept that harsh reality. And so, you know, I, I look at that, you know, your head coach, it, it almost is not necessarily about a coach that can get you the wins and losses. It's about who can develop young talent. That's priority number one right now for Oklahoma City. Yeah, that is true. And and maybe I would be, I still would be shocked if it was Bill Self. I'm not putting it out of bounds though just yet and i'm sure that they've probably picked up the phone or have considered it uh you know maybe they wait a while and and you know maybe i feel like they probably reach out to the ones we've mentioned i feel like they will reach out to to brett brown i feel like they will reach out to nate mcmillan uh and and maybe even a mo cheeks just to see just to you know put some things on the table and consider options from there 
and then you know maybe another coach like we said that we didn't you know wouldn't think about you know they've I'll, I will be I will be damned somehow if they pulled Tim, Tim Duncan away or even if they were to now this would be really something they pulled Becky Hammond away from the Spurs who's had some live in action head coaching experience with the Spurs as Pop has taken you know has taken time away um, that would be that would be a presty move Becky Hammond that yeah. would be I'm not putting money on that but I would I would be shocked but at the same time I would say Sam Presty yeah um and uh you know Becky Hammond she's an incredible basketball mind um that would be something if uh, they made her the first uh you know female head coach and uh you know her resume would certainly show that uh, she would earn that opportunity if uh I mean, it's given that so sooner rather than later speaking of uh uh, women in basketball, by the way, big shout out to uh, Doris Burke, Tom. I love Doris Burke. Um, she's incredible doing the uh, NBA on ESPN. Uh, she is going to be the first female ever to call a conference final and an NBA final. She'll be on the ESPN radio broadcast uh, for the Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Finals. Hubie Brown didn't make the trip to the bubble uh, for age. And uh, so she's going to take that spot in place of Hubie Brown. So definitely excited for Doris to uh, get that opportunity, Tom. Yeah, what what better person to do it than Doris Burke? You love her, I love her, Drake loves her. Uh, you know, Doris Burke is is legendary in my mind. Uh, you know, she calls the games and and does a little bit of two K NBA two K action as yeah. well. Uh, it's a it's a it's about time. Yeah, the thing I like about Doris, we'll, we'll end the segment on this, Tom, is she calls it like she sees it. She doesn't have any bias one way or the other. She's not afraid to call out officials when she disagrees with them. Um, Doris is very fair. Um, and that's all you can ask for. It's just somebody that's going to be fair and impartial, and she does exactly just that. So excited for Doris. We'll definitely be listening to that. Before we get out of here today, Tom, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. Where are we headed to this time? Jones, we are going to none other than New York State. And as you know, the pretty much the last lake weekend was this past weekend. You know, Jones, I, to be honest, I did go to a lake this year. It was not in Oklahoma. I did not go to any Oklahoma lakes. I don't know how I feel about that yet. That's This is the first summer in a long time that I did not go to Copan, that I did not go to Grand uh didn't go to sky to i didn't go to any oklahoma lake that i can really think of you know right i lived in i lived in oregon for seven years tom and i never once went to the infamous crater lake that's one of my drawbacks that i wish i would have done never you never did how far away was it and it was like five or six hours from me but still I, I i don't think you can swim in it or something like that you just have to like look at it but still it would have been cool nonetheless carry yeah. on yeah so, Jones, uh, again, I said this is about a guy in a lake with a kayak. Before we get started, I went to Utah, Arizona, Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, all over the West this past summer, uh, socially distancing with a mask and being outdoors and such. But went to Lake Powell, got a kayak, paddled across the lake, no problem. And then on the way back... Or really, before we got started on the way back, they they told us, but we didn't take heed. The wind started going in. The wakes the lake started white capping. We had to get back. 
Um, and so we paddled across a white capping lake with the wind about 25 miles an hour right in our face. And it was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever done. Needless to say, I tried to paddle back into the cove. Granted, I'm, I'm, I don't kayak often. In fact, I hadn't kayaked in a long time. So put that on board, you know, along with I don't kayak and I don't paddle across big lakes like Lake Powell. And I'll cliffhang it there and I'll read you an article and tell you how I ended up in this kayak on Lake Powell. <laughs> okay. A lake that's white capping. But article reads... Albany man rescued from Lake George by priest on a floating tiki bar. Lake George. It was a choppy afternoon on the lake, and Jimmy McDonald from Albany was paddling in a kayak. See the similarities here? As McDonald tells it, he drifted away from his wife and stepkids because he was taking pictures with his new smartphone and not really paying attention. As he tried to make his way back, the water got choppier, and he paddled harder before he tipped over and lost his paddle. He was in about 30 feet of water, his ill-fitting life jacket coming up over his head, and he was holding onto the kayak with one hand and his new $1,400 smartphone with the other. He says people, other kayakers, and canoeists were passing by in the distance, but the former amateur boxer's pride wouldn't let him scream for help. So several exhausting minutes, he kept trying to ride the kayak. That's when I said, all right, I think I might die today. I think this might be it. I prayed to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for help, McDonald said. Greg Barrett is captain for Tiki Tours. A lot of things aligned that day, Barrett said. He typically pilots partiers, but not on this day. At first, Barrett saw Jimmy's paddle, and then one of his passengers said they heard a call for help. So as soon as I turned the boat towards him, I realized his life preserver had been on the upper portion of his head, and he was hanging on for dear life, Barrett said. They got to him, a deckhand and the passenger pulled him on board, and here's where it gets interesting. Jimmy is a drug counselor and a recovering addict. How funny is that? I've been sober for seven years, and I get saved by a tiki bar, McDonald laughed. And not just any tiki bar. It was a bar full of priests and seminarians from the Paulist Fathers as a Catholic retreat on the lake. McDonald prayed for help from above and had arrived in the form of men of the cloth on a floating bar. The priests uh, who were on board have no doubt that a higher power played a role in them being there exactly when McDonald needed them. Or missionaries, said Chris Milano, a second-year seminarian. For us that day, that was our mission to be present and help someone in the need. That's someone in need says he's committed to continuing to help others drowning in addiction. I just take that as a sign from God that he's got me here for a real reason, said McDonald. An account of what happened that day first appeared here, and then it goes to a different article. But, Jones, I'll give you the cliffhanger. So, okay. I'm trying to paddle back, you know, and it's the the lake is still white capping. It's ridiculous, honestly. I, if I would have been more brave, I took a video on maybe the most ridiculous shit I've ever had to do in my life. Um, and... I called the people because they said there was a tow service. They come and get you, but it was going to be $250. And I was like, well, it looks like I'm going to paddle back across this lake. Um, and I did, and I got pretty close to the shore. And by this time I don't, I didn't have any water because I'd already drink, you know, and finished it off. Um, it's hot. Like I said, this is on the Utah, Arizona border. It's windy mouths dry. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to drink this lake water. Um, and I'm getting close and my friend Blake has already made it across <laughs> and I'm very close to the shore, but it's, I can't get into the no wake zone and there's boats coming into the wake zone that are pushing the wake out and pushing me further away. 
and so this boat's coming out of the shore or from the from the docks sees me flags me down comes and gets me in the kayak and takes me back to the dock now it wasn't as far as this guy was out probably and i didn't get saved by a floating tiki bar full of priests but that day that boat saved me not my life because i didn't tip the kayak over even though there were several times that there were big enough waves to do so uh (laughs) and lucky that i kept my balance somehow but they did save me from going way, drifting way past the docks and having to drag the kayak in shame. Um, but Jones, saved by a tiki bar. If I was going to get saved by anything out on the water, I can't think of a better thing to come save me than a tiki bar. Now, this guy's obviously been sober for seven years, so I'm sure he didn't imbibe then and there. But had that have been me, I would have taken two pina coladas immediately. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is uh, so clutch on the part of the uh, Tiki Bar to come through with this. When this guy needed it in its moment, uh, it could not have come through at a better time. No, it really couldn't have. And like a Tiki Bar of all sorts, obviously the guy doesn't drink anymore. Um, But at the same time, a, a Tiki Bar full of Catholics... That, yes. I mean, that's that's just as good as, you know, a lot of different things I could make references to. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, and now I want to go on a Tiki tour, Jones. Now, you've seen the bikes in Tulsa. I know you have riding downtown. Yes. I'm sure they're probably in Kansas. I know they're in Kansas City. They have to be. Yeah. Where, you know, you pedal on the big bike that goes from bar to bar. But this is on the water. And it's a tiki bar full of priests. I'm trying to figure out. I, I've never seen a tiki tour on a lake before. And maybe that's our new business venture. You know, you talked about starting a water burger. I think it's high time we get a pontoon boat and start, uh, you know, tying Tom's tiki service. I'm not opposed to it. Now, you say priests. Uh, do we know where the priests actually wearing their normal attire like they would you know, go to mass in or were they casual, like casual Friday? Uh, I think they were probably casual. It didn't say, though, the Paulist fathers. I'm going to look up and see what they look like. Uh, now, if they would have been in the cloth, that would have been legit. Right. I don't know how that would have worked out being like in lake clothing and things, but. We're going to have communion they, at the lake. Oh, I'm game. I'd go to the lake right now uh, <laughs> and, and do that. I wouldn't drive to New York for it, but. Uh, you know, I would, I wouldn't be opposed to taking communion on a boat, um, at any point in time. Uh, Jones, I'm looking up pictures of them. They look pretty legit. Um, I don't see, I'm going to try to put Lake George on here and see if there's a picture of them and see what we can't find out on this. Um, oh, they look like they have a pretty cool church on that lake or somewhere nearby that that's what pulls up um or a chapel of some sorts they don't see the pic oh is this him oh this is him okay so i found it jones i'm just gonna send you this picture real quick i'm gonna imagine this is the priest in this awesome tiki type shirt and then this guy uh with the life jacket you know, look at 
You could drink enough with the priest that you could probably go ahead and knock out confessional while you're out there, too, and feel a lot better about yourself. Yeah, maybe they do confessional. You know, maybe they have confessional while you're holding on to the kayak still <laughs> determine if they want to rescue you or not. <laughs> well, let's see how good of a person you really are. Are you worth saving? Uh-huh. Right. Now, this boat that they're on, this is a legit boat with a freaking tiki hut over it. And this looks like everything I could ever want. Uh, I mean, this is... I'm guessing this. I don't know if you've gotten the picture yet, but the guy definitely has some. Uh, I've gotten backyard it. barbecue, backyard barbecue dad vibes in this tiki shirt. You guys, uh, that looks like an Andy Reid, Tommy Bahama shirt. He does it not. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's if he's in Albany, he's probably a Buffalo Bills fan. Maybe right. Um, Paulist Fathers Lake George. You type that on Google. Scroll down about halfway through the images. And you're going to find this picture. Uh, I don't see any more pictures. Actually, yep, I do see another one. Uh, now, this is not... I don't see... Oh, I do see the same guy. I'll send you this one, too. I don't see the same guy with the life jacket on, but you get a better look at the bar. And, Jones, I think it's going to go on my list, on my little bucket list of uh, things I have to do before I die is to take a tiki tour with some Catholic priests. Yeah, uh, that'd be incredible. Isn't everything better, too, in life when water's involved? I thought you were going to say with Catholics, and I was going to say, you know what, me and Miguel have had some good times. So you know, some of, my, yes. some of my best friends are Catholics, and I love them to death. And uh, I know that well, they I would have... I hope you don't hate them. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and, you know, they would have my back, and I'd have theirs, and... And uh, I respect them. I respect their, what they believe and what they do. So, yeah, this looks awesome. I love this setup. I would love to do uh, something like this. I'm all in, Tom. You tell me when and where. I'll be there. Ty and Tom's Tiki Tours. I am game. Now we just got to find a boat um, and uh, get it going. Well, maybe we can talk to the priest and be like Noah and build our own boat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there you go. Just instead of fitting two of every animal, we fit two of every bottle of liquor. <laughs> On that note, we got to run. <laughs> Big thanks to Scott Jason, TJ Reeves, and Brian O'Connor for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Google Play. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group. Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, uh, Insta Thomas, Jones underscore Report. Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. We'd love a like and a follow there. And uh, thank you, the listener, for joining us as well. And uh, we'll be right back here next week. And uh, we have some exciting news, by the way. to give you later this week as far as this show goes. We're getting a little bigger. I'll explain. Be looking for that on my Twitter feed at Tyler Jones Live, the official announcement. Uh, I'll give a hint. You might be listening to this show a little sooner and more often than what you're accustomed to. I'll leave it at that. So that's what we call a tease in the biz. For Thomas Bridges, I am Tyler Jones saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.